Podcast. This is RPG Sites Weekly Podcast. Uh, you know who we are. We have the usual crew here today. I am the host. My name is Brian Vitali. Joining me, we've got Josh Torres. Aloha. We have Adam Vitali. Hello. James Galizio. Hey, folks. And Chow Min Wu. How's it going? So it is our last recorded podcast in January. And as Josh teed up, we are going to be focusing the majority of this podcast, of course, talking about what we've been playing and what we've been playing. At least a couple of us here has been the recently released Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth. I very closely almost said Yakuza, but no. <laughs> I think Yakuza everyone is, is everyone not in the title anywhere. <laughs> it's not in the title anywhere for any region. But yes. Uh, so both Josh and I were lucky enough to be able to have early access to this game. The game just released at the time of recording uh, a couple days ago. I think for us in the States, like very late at night on Thursday. So I, I think some console players had to wait a little bit longer, but I believe it's out and open and available everywhere now. And uh, you've seen the review, likely, if, you've, if you're listening to this podcast, or at least you've seen kind of the general critical reception. But if you haven't, we'll discuss it here. And of course, we'll go into a lot of the details about our thoughts, uh, Josh's thoughts as he wrote up the review, my thoughts as I also covered the game, uh, compared to the rest of the series as, as an RPG, as a new entry, the dual protagonist, all the you know bits and bobs of what this game is and our thoughts on it. So... Like I said, Josh was the one that was able to cover this game in a review capacity for us on the site. And so I think it is just natural to hand it off over to him to start out. And then, of course, I expect I will be bouncing a lot of ideas back and forth as we discuss our impressions of Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth. So take it away, Josh. Uh, This is an absolutely gigantic game like it is from top to bottom a very much improved sequel from yakuza like a dragon that released uh 2020 and seeing what rgg studio achieved with this title with this amount of development time uh, on this title is it's a really really fascinating game that i pretty much enjoyed from start to finish and like my 80 plus hours of game of like my playthrough it's a it's a huge game and it's just I, I, I was thinking about this, and I wanted to think about like because part of the reason why this like this feels so good to play is with the much improved combat system. Like you know, our with Yakuza Like a Dragon, it was RGG Studios' first time like you know shifting this Yakuza series, which was a brawler, into that turn-based RPG format, and it was done, you know, from development reports that came out after that time. Like it was done at a pretty rushed pace. Like they only had to like you know. Pretty much a year or like or under a year or so to what was going to be traditionally another brawler into like a turn-based RPG and part of like what they what spurred them to go in that way was that April Fool's video, mm-hmm. uh, way back when I think it was like 2019 or something of uh, like hey look what if we turned Yakuza into a turn-based RPG it's like that's fucking crazy but that sounds great and then they're like you know what we should go do that and then yeah so a we'll, lot of, we'll never know for sure yeah. like obviously the fact that they provided that April Fool's joke in the first place meant that they were thinking about it. So you never know like how far was their foot in that yeah. pool. But, and then, but of course, you know, it seems purportedly that the reception to that April Fool's post was so positive and like vibrant that they're like, yep, we're doing this now. <laughs> like at that point, they're like fate was sealed. Yeah. And, and but you know, but uh, when with Yakuza like a dragon, it was definitely, you can feel that like some of the RPG elements were kind of, kind of slapped on in a pretty shoddy fashion. It's like, there was a lot of like unrefined things about it. 
And one of the things I really stressed in this review is like this game just feels way better to play. Just like it, it like I was talking with Brian about this, and not to like I, I still really like Yakuza Like a Dragon. It's a fun game to like play and see, and you know how Ichiban uh, Ichiban's story like starts and unfolds and all that. It's a very very like pretty good game. Um, but when I was playing through Infinite Wealth, I was telling Brian, I was like, this kind of really blows Yakuza Like a Dragon out of the water. Kind of almost it om- like. Even though Yakuza Like a Dragon was like a big game, like you can get a lot of hours out of it, this if it felt still kind of made it feel like a tech demo with so with how many improvements they made across the board, just like being able to move around combat, getting giving you better visual feedback on what you're doing in combat, whether you're throwing something at them, uh, like with an environmental object, or knocking them to another person or another enemy, and then all the stuff you can do with the job system, infinite wealth, and skill inheriting, and all that stuff. I was just like really, really impressed at how well it came together, and I was thinking about like this improvement from the Yakuza Like a Dragon to Infinite Wealth. And someone, I, I forgot who said this, but I think someone said it remind, reminded them of their the big jump from Kingdom Hearts One to Kingdom Hearts Two in terms of gameplay, and like how it really just like really it, it kept the same base formula, but the way it feels to play that game feels way better, and the mechanics all around it feel way more thought out and fleshed out it just kind of it just feels smoother to play in general i don't know if that makes sense to you brian when you came into this no it it definitely does there's there's certain things in infinite wealth that i knew when playing yakuza like a dragon were missing but then now that you're playing it and have them in infinite wealth you're like how did i live without this like for instance first of all before i get any further i will say that I believe that through this entire discussion, we're going to keep things spoiler free or spoiler light as any review would be. I don't expect that we're going to go into any like major story details at all. And if we do, we'll make sure we mark that clearly both in our recording and in the timestamp. So with that out of the way, uh, but the, the fact that you can move like your position before you execute your ability and even there's even a sense of progression there because as you I forget if it's your class rank or your level, your superior character level, the amount that you can move before like choosing an ability like expands as your character is, you know, progressing it stronger. So it just feels like a very, very natural fit. And okay. when you fight enemies that are significantly weaker than you, they've implemented the pretty usual uh, like instant clear mechanic. I think they call it showdown. Uh, I don't remember. Uh, what was it? Smackdown. Smackdown. Yeah. Uh, so basically one thing, and I, I think Adam, if you pull back long enough, I think Adam watched me play some, some chunks of, uh, Yakuza like a dragon and also other Yakuza games where you're running in town, you're trying to do like your normal, uh, your normal little side activities or whatever. And an enemy sees you and they don't care how much weaker than you they are. They're going to chase you. And you you're know like, what? no, no, you no, know no. What no, game no comes to mind when I think of this mechanic or mm. this quality of life component, uh, Shin Megami Tensei four. Oh yeah. In yeah, that yeah. game, enemies that are lower level than you doesn't matter if they're seventy levels lower than you. They're going to chase you to the ends of the earth to try to fight you. <laughs> and yeah. they they did improve that in Four Apocalypse. Uh, that was one of the improvements. Well, well I guess but, kick, compare, comparing that here. So I remember Yakuza like a dragon, and enemy I, I knew was basically not worth my time at that point would chase me, and I'd be like, no, 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 <laughs> but it spread away. But not so that still kind of happens here, but. 
if the enemies, if they're significantly weaker than you, will be marked with a unique icon. And then when you run into them, you have the option. You don't have to, but you have the option to do the SmackDown, which will instantly clear them. And you still get the EXP and items. So it can kind of be useful because even though they're a weaker enemy, you can get some items, you can get some EXP or some money. Uh, so it's not useless, but that way it makes that so much less of a headache to run around town. Uh, and I don't feel like I'm dreading the combat system. And it wasn't terrible in Yakuza Like a Dragon, but I can't imagine going back from not having that SmackDown system. So when you talk about like some of the improvements, those were the um, the the more obvious examples. I think some better examples uh, that are a little bit more subtle is just when you're in battle, the enemies kind of shift around a little bit because it, it gives it a little bit of a natural feel. They don't line up in rows uh, and wait for you to attack. People do shift around. And what that that can be slightly inconvenient if you're doing like an area of, of effect ability and someone moves out of range. But it seems like they've kind of muted how much they move or the characters kind of move a little bit more in a circle. So that if they're if they're in range when you execute the ability, more than likely they're going to stay in range. You don't have this weird system or setup where you have people running into walls or over railings or into cars at least not as often I you can like I had one very early on in like a dragon infinite wealth I did do a knockback ability on a character and then they ran into a, a moving car and the moving car did damage to the character and it was like planned it wasn't like weird or glitchy like it showed like a damage floater of how much the colliding car did to the did to the uh the enemy and I was like all right it just feels like there's a little bit more like another level of polish to the systems behind the the moment to moment gameplay. Yeah, the pathfinding is a lot better because you know for people who played the uh, Yakuza like a dragon, um, when sometimes when you run up to enemies to do a basic attack, it takes sometimes it, take, it takes a, a, a oddly weird time uh, for them to get to them, like running up to them because there'd be like environmental objects they kind of the character model doesn't know what to do with until like something clicks and then they go up and go over it and then hit them and sometimes that took like a weird amount of time. In because uh, like a dragon with infinite wealth, it very rarely happens, and when it does, it'll it'll instead of like having that weird time period of like waiting it out. If the game just doesn't know what to do with that character model, it'll like just teleport them to the in front of the person and then let them do the attack. There's yeah, same... it's it's a lot rarer, but it mm -hmm. still does happen. Like for instance, yeah. uh, a, a follow up. Uh, to Yakuza Like a Dragon is that as you improve your bond level, and I'm sure we'll talk about that more with certain characters, they have the chance to, after you knock down an enemy, they might follow up and do like an extra bonus hit. And it'd be sometimes where it'd be like, Ichiban follows up and it like pans over to Ichiban like he's going to do a follow up attack, but it just kind of like hangs for a little bit and then eventually he'll teleport over and smash whatever the enemy is going to do. So it's not eliminated completely and hopefully they tweak that if they figure out what's causing that. But every once in a while it does hang. A little bit, but it wasn't enough to really detract from my enjoyment. It's like, oh, and, I guess uh, it just, it's just, and it's funny. It's also what it's supposed to do. Yeah, it's also one of the funny things that, like, if you've played Yakuza like a dragon, it's like one of those things. Like, if you haven't played it in a while, you might have forgotten. But like, there was this weird, stupid mechanic in that game where if you were running towards like a farther off person and you had the your character run by an enemy, sometimes that enemy would actually just like cancel your turn, but like hitting you mid run towards that person. And it was like a really dumb mechanic that like just oh i remember that yeah you're yeah. right that I, I now that you say that i'm like of course that's how it worked and yeah like, that sucked. Uh, and they, they got rid of that completely in infinite wealth it's like it's one of those admissions like yeah that was a, a great thing to do yeah it was um, one of those things like maybe the idea of it seems kind of neat but in execution it was just more frustrating than yeah. than, than interesting uh, but uh, of course we can't talk about infinite wealth really the star of the show here and that's the new honolulu uh map because uh the main one of the main premises in this uh, game is that Ichiban 
flies overseas out of Japan, away from Ijinsho, Kamurocho, or anything like that, uh, to new territory here in America on the lovely, lovely uh, paradise of Hawaii. Uh, and he's going there in search for a mother he thought he once was once dead, but apparently not. And uh, he's uh, searching for her, her there. And this is. I don't know if it's like the like by like certain like mass size or if this is the biggest map they've ever made, but it is definitely one of the densest maps uh, they've ever made, if not uh, the densest map. There's so many things to see and do when you're like on, uh, filling out this new uh, city, and like the layout of it is just like it's gorgeous. Just it, it just you whenever you go into like a shop, like the shops are all very. They they all feel unique, um, just the way that they're laid out, their decorations, their lighting, and and then going to like the the Anaconda shopping mall and then the other uh, outdoor shopping mall, and just it's just filled with NPCs. It's very very lively, and I really like. I, I was excited to see like how just how much of Hawaii they re- recreated through this. It it was such a gorgeous gorgeous. Um, and and there's very rarely a loading scene. Uh, like yeah. you know, you go into the mall, you walk into the parking ramp, no load. You go up the you know escalator to the second floor, no load. You can look out a window and see the street you were just on, uh, or you go into you go into another shop. The only thing that they do sometimes is that they'll make a shop, they'll decorate the interior, but they'll put the shop owner like right at the entrance, so you don't actually get to yeah. go in. But that's 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 only about half the shops in the game. The other half mm-hmm. of the shops, you literally do go in. You can walk around the clothing racks, and sometimes like they'll actually put the shop owner, the merchant, at the desk, and they they behave like a shop, and then. And if you go to like the clothing racks or the shelves, you might have the option to like purchase something and give it as a gift. Then that goes back to that bond thing. So they, there, it's not just set dress. It is partially set dressing, but it's not just set dressing. And uh, you do go to um, some of the older maps in the series, specifically, of course, Yokohama uh, and Jincho. And Jincho is not, you know, that was new as a, a. Remind me if I get this wrong. That was new as of Yakuza Like a Dragon, and then was also present in Lost. Judgment, yes. I believe is yeah, where, yeah. where it made a second appearance. Mm-hmm. And so that one's still a fairly new map, but it does feel a lot smaller than you remember it. Uh, and then, you know, uh, sometimes you very rarely will go into a building and it does actually have a different loading screen because the interior is actually like larger than it technically should be. You like know what I mean? Bar, uh, like you're going to like your home base bar. In, uh, yeah, in but... Yeah, but that's very rare, and it never feels like inappropriate. It's like, oh, okay, the interior of this bar is tech. I bet you, I haven't done the math, but technically, it's larger than the world space it's occupying. But which is fine. Like a lot of video games do that, and it doesn't detract from the immersion at all. Um, but yeah, just Honolulu is great, and it's very pretty. And the PC port we both played on PC runs really well. Uh, the beach aesthetic is really different from like the urban sprawl red light district of the uh, of the other areas uh and yeah it, a lot it, of times it, yakuza games what you're going to be doing most of the time is running around the town and it never really got to- uh tired or old yeah it's it's uh, like the the it was like just a nice like variety in visuals it's not just like you're running around streets you have the beach that you can roam around on there's like some like the more like higher end districts uh that i like you know have uh nicer looking buildings uh and it's just it 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 really is a nice a breath of fresh air and, and there's like fun ways to get around it. You have like you know the Segway uh, <laughs> that they uh, give you early on, and you can use that to actually auto cruise around to like certain points of the map. 
Um, obviously, you can like uh, fast travel to taxis as usual. Um, you have the trolleys uh, that you can use to get around with. Um, and uh, obviously, with the new map of Honolulu, there's a shitload of new activities. Like this game has some of the most like compelling distractions that the series has ever seen. Like, like in terms of like their how in depth they go, and also but like by quantity as well. Um, you know, besides like the sub stories, you have like the 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 Sujimon mechanic has been expanded out to this whole Sujimon League thing with gym leaders, the three versus three battles, raising Sujimon, capturing them, uh, and then the Dondoko Island, which is like the Animal Crossing whole thing where you can easily like you can you can just go into a vortex of like many many hours of just like getting distracted from like all the different things they added in this game. It's like it's so much. It it feels like. It's very. It feels very overwhelming, but at the same time, you're just like, that's so cool that like they were able to include this in the game. It's it already feels so massive, right? Just they're adding more and more, and it feels good to like play. Yeah, and so when when we were getting uh, preview review access to this game, I was taking some notes in a Google Doc, uh, just kind of for my like, I I kind of do that anyway, just to like establish my opinion of the game and also kind of remind myself like were these events foreshadowed or things like that, but also for like guide purposes, writing down lists, notes to myself about all the things you unlock and every like it felt like every single chapter I'm like oh that's a whole other thing oh you know there's a whole Sujimon thing oh there's this mini game oh there's this side side event oh there's this sub story and it's just it just every single chapter you unlock one or two things and I'm I can't exactly contextualize it but for some reason it doesn't feel as like there are previous games in the series yakuza's four and five where it feels like too much or too it's too diversionary or it doesn't feel like it adds to the game where for whatever reason in infinite wealth i feel like it's implemented in a way where i don't encounter that quite as much there's still a little bit of it like there are points during the main story where you run into a mandatory sub story that whose job it is is just to introduce a side concept to you basically it's like this is optional but we're going to at least kind of drive the player to at least see it um well, like a, like a, a very very that. yeah very very early example like uh, or it's like you need to like Pay something for Intel. It's like it's like thirty dollars. So they have you, even though you probably have the money for uh, to like pay it uh, right there. Then they, it's an excuse for you to do this crazy delivery mini game to introduce that mini game to you. It's like, oh, we need to go make money. How do we make money? It's like, oh, this this service um, you can use to make make some early cash. You know, it's just that, that's just like a very early example. It's not it's not mm-hmm. like enough to like break it or anything. It's just like, oh, okay, like the series has like historically has done this as you know as if you've encountered right and and usually the introduction is quite short it's like here's a little five to ten minute thing that just says yep there's a there's a crazy delivery mini game that you can access right here uh now that you've seen it we, we're gonna let you go but you can revisit it if you want and then the thing that yakuza like that i almost said yakuza like a dragon like a dragon infinite <laughs> wealth does is that pretty much every like side adventure mini game sub story has like its own reward system attached to it that will interface with the main game like for instance like the crazy delivery this is a mini game that uh is basically a spoof on crazy taxi uh a series i've never played but it's just basically like where you have to like plan and execute a route where you're trying to deliver it's like of course like you're in america so you're delivering hamburgers pizza and sodas i think uh to different uh <laughs> delivery addresses and 
you get points as you tear up and do harder courses or whatever. And then you can exchange those for like consumables. Uh, usually each mini game has one or two unique pieces of equipment that is that you only can get that way. Like I forget what it is for delivery, crazy delivery, but usually the gear that you can trade points for, for any mini game is unique and has a, an attribute that you can't find on another weapon. So uh, we'll talk maybe more, more about gear and progression specifically later, but once you unlock different jobs, this is a job-based RPG, um, there are shops around town that will sell equipment for that job. So if you so if you ever need to just like get your gear up to par, usually you can go to the map, figure out, okay, this shop sells gear for Ichiban's hero class. At the very least, I can buy something that's up to par, but those weapons won't have like any attributes or special effects. But if you do like the mini games, you might say like, no, this is a way you can get, I don't, I don't know what it is, a golf club with a paralysis attribute and does lightning damage. And so usually there, that's the incentive. Like why, why would you distract yourself with a mini game? If only, if all I really care is about the RPG is like, well, that might be why you might, you might, do 30 minutes of crazy delivery exchange your your points for something useful and then you carry that with you in the main game so which i so i think it's implemented usually pretty well maybe not the, to the same level for every single side objective but usually pretty well mm-hmm. yeah and and, and uh mark your point on the on the fighting the shops for the the weapons for classes they, they made this really really uh easy to find in uh, infinite wealth with really the index Shops so like on the map screen usually you know throughout other games of the series you have the you can access like a list uh, from the map screen of like where the shops are but like when you like uh, when you tab on over to the column with like the shops when you actually click on that shop from the map in that list it'll actually show you like a brief description like hey this is a shop that sells hero weapons and then it'll actually show you like maybe like two or three items as a preview of like what that shop sells and it's like it's a really quick like glance at like okay where do i need to go to like i i've got it my uh due to the aquanaut class where do these self surfboards it's like okay i'll bring up the map screen and then go to the list the column of like uh, the shops and then just like uh, click real fast like maybe like maybe, uh, four to five seconds of like which shop sells surfboards does it sell, sell this does it sell this and then you get to the shop that says, hey, we sell Aquanaut weapons. It's like, okay, cool. What's the nearest cab there? Let me go fast travel there. Boom, you're there. Um, so I really, I really appreciate the way that the menuing feels in this game where it's like, it's very, it's pretty simple uh, to find what you're looking for uh, when, you, when you need it, like, uh, just real fast on the map. Um, so I really appreciate that, like, they've done a great job, you know, just making things feel better to, like, navigate and menu through uh in this game that's it's very very fast at least for pc i don't know how console loading times are uh for them i, I did hear yeah, the, from... the, the the ui is really intuitive yeah. and is it's sometimes in previous games like things are buried in menus under menus yeah and there's a little bit of this here only if you're talking very specifically about going deep into like the like the sujimon league menus but mm-hmm. for stuff like tr- navigating like waypointing around the map navigating knowing where the shops are equipment gear bomb levels all that's pretty easy to access yeah so let's talk about like uh you know they, they we've have we've they've introduced drink links before with these bond levels to uh get to know more about like your teammates pretty much and they expanded this through like these things called bond bingos in this game so there are several points in the map where there's like a heart like a pink heart icon and you go over to them and then like like in the uh, first yakuza like a dragon they had like these mini skits uh, almost like the Tales of series, where you'll see like a button pop up, and then like your characters will talk to each other. 
the conversation isn't like front and center like the Tales of series, but like more on the side. Like the Yakuza like a dragon, uh, and and this one they really expanded it. So like you, you can actively like like seek out these things, and every time you fill in like these uh bond like these hard icons of the map and uh, see these conversations, you'll fill in this bond bingo, and these conversations are just basically. Um, getting to know more flavor text and uh, about your teammates, like what, what their favorite foods are, bad habits, what their future goals are, um, or like what they're frustrating with, like mo- like modern technology, like Adachi's, like my my cell data like isn't like reliable at all. It keeps dropping out. What's happening? You know, um, just little little stuff like that. It can be like anything about their lives, pretty much. It's yeah, kind it's of like it's like ancillary stuff, not related to the narrative. It's more mm-hmm. like what is this character? What are their motivations? What are their dreams? What are their fears? What do they like? What do they do in their spare time? Yeah, it's just it, kind it, of it, fun little tidbits it, for the characters. It, it's kind of like just like random chatter that like feels na- like it feels natural, like you know, to bring it up and you're like around that area and like the, all the all the dialogue exchanges are like they done a uh, the localizers did a pretty damn good job, like making it sound natural and feel natural. To, like just you know bring that up as like you know you're you're hanging out with them and uh, walking around with them. And so as you're seeing these, you'll you'll fill out this like this kind of board on uh, on these character profiles, and you know as it, the name suggests, the bond bingo. Eventually, like you'll line them up, you know, vertically, horizontally, diagonally, and then you'll get like a bond bonus. So as you as you level up these bonds, every like ten or so levels, you'll get like a drink link opportunity with them, so you can go back to your home base, do the drink link, and you know, just like in the first game, as you're chatting with them throughout the conversation, they'll um talk about like you know maybe like a little small storyline that's going on with them and uh you'll have like these choices and uh, there's no really correct answer for these it's just like you pick one of these three choices and they'll all raise like one of ichiban's personality uh traits in the game so and, and as you're doing these drink links they, they actually expand like their capabilities in combat so like the first one will be um, they had their more often to like hit down, knock down enemies. Like they'll follow up to a follow up attack on their own. Uh, while another like big threshold one for them is like being able to tag team attacks uh, with enemies. So you you execute a basic attack by a person, and then it'll show an icon. So both of your characters will attack simultaneously, and that's useful in this game because one of the core universal changes in this game is that every basic attack now regens MP. So your kind of battle economy uh, is more varied in this game because you're not so uh, reliant on like on like MP recovering uh, phases. So this tag team attack uh, now allows uh, both characters to restore a, a bit of MP simultaneously, and then it, and then it can be like a back to back thing where like you do a tag team combo with this group, and then your that other character gets their turn up, and then you do another tag team combo with like the same two two people and then so they have more more times to like replenish mp together uh and so you can keep on going um yeah uh, there's 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 a couple like similar but different mechanics there's that they all unlock through the bond link system so and you can go into the menu and it'll tell you exactly like at what bond level each different capability unlocks but like if you do any attack a character that you have a bond with has a chance of doing a follow-up so that's one thing then there's the combo attacks where if your bond level is high enough, if you're standing near a character, like Josh said, you'll get a very clear icon that says, because you are standing close to your other character, you will do, if you do a basic attack, you will combo. Uh, and then there's the uh, 
the there's like a during battle there's like a little bit of a it's not quite an overdrive or limit break meter but it's similar to that it's it looks like the sideways eight the infinity symbol and then as you fill that up you can do like a uh, a tag team attack between the pair of characters that will each have like a different sort of effect and the nice thing about the tag team attacks is depending on who is doing the tag team um it'll raise different attributes like i believe if you do like uh kiryu's and sanhee's uh, tag team attack, it will raise everyone's agility. I, I might not have that exactly right, but each tag team will have a chance of raising attributes, so it's kind of good to do them just because in that front, it'll help you know pay dividends later in the battle. And then later on, you unlock kind of higher versions of those, like one of Ichiban's later ones uh, incorporates everyone in kind of like an all-out attack sort of thing, persona style. So, but the, the bond links and the, the other thing that they do that that is in addition to this is related more again to the job system through the, the skill inheritance system is and similar to other games with job or class-based systems as you level up in a job you learn the abilities exclusive to that job very expected not nothing fancy there then if their level is their bond level is high enough when they change jobs they can use skill inheritance to hold on to a certain number of jobs from a previous uh, skills from a previous job so none of what I just described is new, new in terms of like it's not novel, but it interfaces in, in the bond system as well. So it's just more incentive to do this. The bond system is directly incorporated in the main game's progression. So that's kind of like why you want to do it. It's not like this extraneous thing that doesn't really pay dividends. So um, I just wanted to touch on that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thank you about that. Um, I so I, I won't I won't spoil the story, but I do want to talk about at least the first two hours of this game, which I'll, mm-hmm. you know a lot of players have already gone through. It's like there's all stuff pre Hawaii, pretty much. Um, so for people who don't want to know anything about this game or haven't started this game yet, um, like you know we'll we'll, we'll mention like a timestamp where where to skip to. But like I, I just wanna I just really want to appreciate like how this story begins because it's such a big RPG and. One of the things that's so crucial in nailing these days is having a strong start. What makes it compelling to start this journey? And Infinite Wealth starts on several years after the events of Yakuza Like a Dragon. And one of the big events in Yakuza Like a Dragon was the dissolution of the Tojo and Omi Alliance, which are the, two of the biggest players uh, in the whole Yakuza series. So... You have the Ichiban now works at Hello Work, and he's helping um, former ex-Yakuza land their feet on the ground because there's this new five-year ex-Yakuza clause and which really limits their opportunities because they were former Yakuza. Uh, so they can't even, like, you know, get a cell phone, can't get health insurance, can't get, you know, reliable employment, uh, and so forth. And, you know, it, it's it's kind of bad times for former uh, Yakuza people because of that law. Um, so Ichiban is, is working at Hello Work to kind of establish that link of, hey, I know you're former Yakuza. I'm gonna do my best to help you uh, land. You know, find find your own two feet, be able to stand on your own. And sometimes it might be to like more underground uh, job to just like help them out. You know, get start the start the, you know getting their lives back together. So. Things happen, you know, to to, to kind of uh, expose like the more underground nature of this uh, through, uh, let's say, uh, through a VTuber uh, who's uh, done their own investigation. 
uh, and you know uh, things things aren't uh, working uh, that great, and that's kind of kind of loops into that whole. As 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 Ichibod is going through this, he gets word you know from Sabashiro from the first game is now out of jail, and he has a a favor to go find his mom in Hawaii. Um, that kind of starts it up, but like within all this, before that whole um, storyline, there's this more personal storyline that follows up on the personal life of Ichiban and his friends of Adachi, Nanba, and Saiko. Um, the crew, yeah, the crew, and th- this is this is very really plays to its strengths as like as starring uh, a JRPG party, but with adults, you know, a more mature uh, like. The higher average age range of more of <laughs> most RPGs, you know, so they have very adult problems, and this is something as we all grow older, you know, becomes more and more relatable. Um, so for a while now, Ichiban has been crushing on Saeko, and Adachi and Nanba know this. So one night they get to a bar gathering, Adachi and Nanba leave, Ichiban. Goes up to Saeko in a very awkward manner because you know he's very nervous about this. Does, does he doesn't you know he he's 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 out of the slammer. He's been in the slammer for a long time, and he's you know almost he's 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 getting to his like he's over forty, almost a fifty, and he he and he has a crush on Saeko. He's like, hey, you you know you 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 wanna you wanna go like uh, meet up and hang out sometimes. Like, oh yeah, you wanna start pla-? Seiko's like you wanna start planning. Out like our next gathering with with the guys, he's like, just, just, just the two of us, you know. And Saeko's like, oh, like she's she's like starting to connect the dots, and like in a panic, she doesn't say anything. She just like walks off, and then you're like, oh god, it's so fucking over for Ichiban. He gets on the ground on his knees, and then like a few moments later, he gets a phone call from Saeko. She's like, she's like, I'm so sorry. I just kind of, I was panicked and I left. You know, this this next Saturday, good. And Ichiban's like, yeah, yes. And of course, before he pops off, he makes sure make sure that you know the phone calls over. And he's fucking popping off. Everything's fucking great. Living life is like this is the best fucking night of my life. Starts dancing with some like nearby homeless people he's become friendly with. And you know, it's it's life's great. So he's like preparing for this big date with Saeko. And so he goes. He turns to his buds, uh, Adachi and Nanba. He's like, "What the fuck do I do on this date?" You know, and then so you have this whole kind of like this night, ten to fifteen minute segment where you go, you're going out Adachi and Nanba, and then you have like these three sample scenarios of like what would you do in this scenario? Like for example, at the beginning of the date, like what posture should you even do? Like when you're meeting up, should you be on the gra- Should you be on the bench, sitting relaxed? Uh, that that's Nanba's way, and Nanba's like just fall asleep and to see you look natural on it. And Adachi's like, no, no, no. You get there thirty minutes early, and then you stand very firmly and look off at the distance, never breaking your gaze. Just like get that manly aura, uh, you know, around you. You know, so you look you, you look like a hard ass, basically. In the context of the game, this is like an introduction to Kasuga's personality system, but it is like, like, like the way Josh is describing it, it's interface with the story at the time. So it's like, you know, do this, it's more passionate, do this, it's more stylish, do this, it's more kind or whatever. Yeah. And one of the later choices is like, if you go to, let's say this noodle place for, uh, for, uh, 
for your date lunch? Like, should you get the regular noodles or should you uh, be brave and get the spice level 100 curry and try yeah. to make an impression? <laughs> should, should, should I get the guac? You'll need the extra energy later. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I like I like so they're all getting him prepped up for this, right? And then the 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 big day comes, the day the big date arrives, right? And so, like for for reference, like Ichiban's never really done this. Most of his life has been in prison, okay? So and he's been in the like he was nearly in prison for twenty years. So like at that that time there like he was such a big Dragon Quest fan. That was his frame of reference for games at the time when he got out, got out. So like he's in. He like he has a very like old school mindset of like how to do this because he has no idea like mo- what modern sensibilities are, right? He's, he's still trying to get his life back together uh, from all this. So you go on the date for Saeko, Funny things happen. I won't spell what those are. Those are some really really great moments uh, during this uh, whole meetup with Saeko. Then the end of the date arrives. It's at nighttime. He's getting a drink for Saeko uh, on the bench. And then he's like, look, Saeko, I know I'm not the smartest tool in the shed. I'm an ex-Yakuza. I'm, I don't know. I'm not, you know, I'm not that all that smart. But I'm getting my life together bit by bit, um, you know. And he basically, on the first date, he proposes to her. And, and then he's like, he's like doing like a very traditional pa- fashion where he's like, you know, I'll... You know, I'll be the breadwinner. I'll do this. I'll even help you I'll with take, that. I'll, I'll take care of you. Uh-huh, yeah. I'll take care. I'll, I'll, I'll do all. I'll even do all, all the housework. You know, uh, you know, you don't even have to work anymore. You know, like I'll do. I'll do everything pretty much. It's a very, very traditional way of doing this, right? Um, and then, pretty much, Sayako, like she, he, he, she never answers that question. She's like. He, she just like kind of rubs, washes it, washes it off. She's like, she does. She's like, so it's like you know, I gotta go. I have, you know, I have work in the morning. Um, it was nice meeting up with you. Had fun, you know. But he, she never answers him. He just kind of, kind of like ignores that whole proposal. And then she's like, see you later. She's like, wait, what? What about this? And she's like, see ya, bye, you know, and all that. And it's like, oh my god, this is. This is torture because this this is this, this plays into like real anxiety for people for like who are like maybe on the cusp of like proposing or have a significant someone or try or are trying to you know get past maybe some uh, a, a failed proposal in the past or something like that you know it really it really hits on that you know real fear uh, for people and who are at that point in their lives and so the very next day Ichiban is talking about Adachi Nanbaba is like. He's like, where did I fuck up? Like, what happened? <laughs> you know? And he's telling the he's telling this to Adachi Nanba. And Adachi Nanba like, dude, you like fucked everything up, dude. Like, it's <laughs> like it's like, they're, like, they're, like, they're like they're like they're like what dumbass proposes on the first date. And that's the language they use because they're all buddy buddy. Like yeah, yeah. one thing this series does really well, especially if you played the first I say the first game. You really, 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 really should play at least watch a synopsis of Yakuza like a dragon before jumping into eight. This is a series where we talk about what are the jumping in points. I would not, even though I'd like to, I would not say that eight or infinite wealth is a jumping in point. Uh, for, for example, at this scene, you know the history and the camaraderie between Nanba, Adachi, and Ichiban, and it really shows, especially in this post date 
kind of console yeah. of Ichiban. And we've all been there. Like it's not not just like from failed proposals. It's like like something happens and you fuck up somewhere in your life. So of course the next morning you're out with your bros and you're like, where did it go wrong? What did I do? What the, what, what did I fuck up? You know, you did like you could definitely relate. You've had this you've had this discussion with your friends of like, dude, what the fuck? You know. <laughs> Oh man! So I just like you know I I really obviously I kind of giving like the the a very generalized summary here, but it's like the way it's done in game is so well done, and I'm like I just like I really love that they took out this extra time, even though it's like it took about like you know a couple of hours to really follow up on like what's been going on with Ichiban and his friends and what they're going through. They could have done the the straight to Hawaii thing right away and do this through flashbacks, but they didn't, you know, and I really. It's really cool to see that like RGD Studio kind of went the extra mile to really illustrate this and how the way they present these introductory systems in the game, like the personality chance you said, Brian. Yeah, the, there there is a short time skip at the beginning. It's like it's like you have a, some intro events and then it goes like a very quick one year later and then it goes into like the meat of the game, which leads to Hawaii and all that. So there's a little bit of a so it's a little bit of a flashback, but it's not presented like a flashback. There's just like here's here's the initial events set sometime after you know the uh 2020 events of yakuza like a dragon then there's a year skip and then the story kicks off and, and then you Cause, know because the games are kind of like aligned with real yeah. world timing and dates yes. like they don't they don't do it overbearingly but like for instance there's a very short reference to like yeah during the pandemic xyz like they'll, they'll reference that so it, it's meant to kind of like ground with the setting a little bit even though it is wacky and goofy and weird yeah um and of course, in Hawaii, you'll meet like uh, several new characters along the way to like two of your new uh, party members that uh, you know eventually join your party is a man named Eric Tomizawa and a woman named Chitose Fujinomiya. Um, I won't really get into much about like who they are and whatnot because a lot of the story it really really fleshes them out in a really uh, good way. Like I think a lot of people will really gravitate towards these two characters as you start learning about you know where they're coming from. And, uh, and their role in this story. I think, I just think in general, um, the story is very well done. Despite its length, I think they do a great job, like taking their time, fleshing out things and clarifying things and going to things that, like, it doesn't feel like a waste of time. Like, there's, there, 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 there sure is some, like, quote unquote, like filler events in terms of, like, some padding over some narrative sequences for sure. But in general, like, the payoffs and, sort of like where they go with the story and how they incorporate certain themes uh from the event like that bounce off of the events from yakuza like a dragon i think it's a very effective direction they found uh for this game and i i really appreciated that i think it's a people are in for one hell of a long ass ride it is i think it is the longest mainline story in the entire series if you're just talking about this main uh, route alone, I haven't, I haven't like put a stopwatch to it. I wouldn't be surprised if Yakuza Five was longer, but that's split amongst kind of like four distinct stories. Where this one, it's just one continuous story that happens to have two protagonists. I guess we should touch on that. So mm -hmm. it definitely feels like it might even, even with that caveat, it might still be longer than Yakuza Five, but around the same length. A very long story with a single like plot. Or that's yeah. one thing Yakuza Five didn't do very well. It oh, had no. kind of some 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 disjointed plots, but yeah, I guess that kind of leads into the next topic. That of course, when this game was announced back with the trio of announcements last year, um, last year, 
late 2022 uh, 20, 20, so, yes, yes 2022 yes yeah yeah uh so uh obviously longtime series protagonist kiryu kazuma is a protagonist of this game and i think the comparison is kind of expected and natural and after playing the game it does feel like an apt comparison is that it's not too dissimilar from yakuza zero where you would spend time as protagonist Kiryu and then also as Majima in that game, but only in this game it's Ichiban and Kiryu. Uh, and the the story reasons for that uh, are are detailed and intricate, but portrayed as part of the chapter to chapter progression. Um, it ends up working really well because it allows it to tell kind of a a wider scope story that is reaching across the the ocean, really with events in both Japan and in Hawaii. But also on a gameplay front, there are more party members in this game than the previous one. I believe Yakuza Like a Dragon had seven, but one was the optional party member, Aerie, so she was always kind of like excluded from cutscenes. So it was really six characters interfacing with the story, where this one has nearly double that. Not quite. I think it's it's 10, I'm pretty sure. Um, but what they do is they kind of can compartmentalize it between like protagonist A and B. So it never kind of feels like, oh, you've got nine, eight, nine, ten people to choose from, but only four are relevant at any given time because they're in your party and you're using them. It's like, no, they kind of delineate them across the story so that you end up kind of interfacing. They give everyone their time in the limelight. Uh, maybe not everyone. There's a couple that kind of get the short end of the stick, but they give the majority of the cast decent time, both in terms of a gameplay perspective you know, time to actually use and interface with this character's class. Every character has unique class and abilities, plus interface with them in the story front. And I remember when this game was first announced, there was some criticism, I guess not criticism at that time, but kind of like worry that Ichiban had his had his game, he was the new protagonist, it was the passing of the torch, but then in this game, oh, we're bringing Kiryu back. It kind of felt like a, a move that felt potentially, we didn't know at the time, because this was all speculation, in in the wrong direction but i will just say like not i won't say those fears are unfounded but i will say that the execution on yakuza uh sorry like a dragon infinite wealth <laughs> i almost want to say like yakuza infinite wealth or whatever but uh they, they work with the dual protagonist system and the interplay between these two characters really really well because kiryu has the same characterization he's always had uh, ichiban is like a a puppy basically <laughs> they so like uh and so kiryu is obviously kiryu is obviously very like kind but also kind of stoic and a, i want i don't, I don't want to say very detached but he like he only wears his emotions on his sleeves in very particular moments where ichiban that's just kind of his default state always yeah so they play off each other really really well so it's kind of like two different ways of you know these these guys both have gigantic hearts but they kind of interface with their friends and their comrades in different ways in the same party literally a jrpg party so it's just a, it's just a really really fun dynamic and i enjoyed having both characters present and i when i when they when the story asked you to play as kiryu for a while it didn't bother me at all like i like if you had told me that uh, like maybe before the game release i've been like ah like I don't want that, but no. After playing the game, I did not mind at all, and it worked really well. Yeah, I'm I'm very impressed that the, they were able to find a balance. That like, yeah, I was one of those people. It's like, man, the, is Ichiban gonna get overshadowed by Kiryu because uh, going into his new game? But no, they there, there's a really good justification of why they went this direction with dual protagonists, and it's they they really pulled it off. They really pulled it off. I'm very delighted that they did because. Uh, 
like I think about like all the like the the, the balancing act that they m- might have done behind the scenes during development, and like it, it could have been. There's so many things about this game that like if like one part kind of felt off or like didn't hit the mark, it feels like the whole thing could have collapsed, you know. <laughs> but it didn't, and it, it holds up really really well, and uh, that's just that's amazing, you know. That's incredible. Um, it's just. Man, I, I I just think about like this cast of characters, and I just think about like how great of a protagonist this new protagonist Ichiban is. Man, like I would I would die for this dude. <laughs> to be honest, he's so ah, oh, I love Ichiban. I was I, I was describing the game a little bit to my girlfriend because uh, yeah. she's just interested in it because because yeah. uh, I was playing it. Yeah, and when I told her like the fact the way that they kind of uh, explain the goofiness of like the enemy characters because it's all like Ichiban's imagination in terms of like, <laughs> they're, like in reality, all the creatures that he's fighting are just like thugs and criminals, but like in his imagination, no, they're like, uh, they're, they're holding like beach balls or they're, uh, they're, they're wrapped up in a sleeping towel in a, in a sleeping bag. And they're like a caterpillar, like a, like, uh, yeah. And, and and the fact that when you transfer over to Kiryu, it's like some of Ichiban is rubbed off on Kiryu, so now he sees him this way too. And like you didn't need to explain that, <laughs> but I'm glad you did. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's just I just really enjoy it. And it's just fun, and then and it's believable too. It's like of course that's how Kiryu would see the world. Oh, not Kiryu. Uh, well, I guess now Kiryu, but that's of course that's how uh, Ichiban would see the world uh, as a giant Dragon Quest nerd. Um, you know, getting getting time to finally stretch his feet after he's been in prison for most of his adult I, life. I, I wish I saw the world like Ichiban. Man, that'd be, be awesome. But yeah, I mean, you know, I have my reviews up on the site that goes up into you know a lot a lot of detail about like all of its systems without you know giving any any story story spoilers away. I mean, there's just a ton of things you can do doing this game. It's a, it's a great 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 value for what you're getting out of this game. Um, I you know I I know a lot of the talk about this game leading up to it. Was the like new game plus uh, being you know pay gated uh, behind fifteen dollars and yeah that is a really really shitty thing to do uh, like uh, uh, for personally I don't plan to new game plus this anytime soon because like it's such a big game that like I kind of need some time off before I like uh, think about dabbling into it again but I do I like it's kind of a it's kind of a weird situation in this case right because like the new game plus that they're advertising apparently has like new content behind it which is like this big swell thing and um new resort quest and like a bonus dungeon and i guess some of this content i th- i believe is like new game plus gated so that's why they're part of the reason why they're charging for it another partial reason is also because in japan yeah with yakuza like a dragon's release there that's how they uh did it too where uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon's new game plus in Japan because it released much earlier than in the West. Uh, that that came as paid DLC sometime after launch. Well, since a lot sometime has already passed since the Japanese release of that game, when it was coming out in the West, they decided to just bundle that in for free for us. So and the, the, with this game with Infinite Vault being a global simultaneous release both in Japan and in the West, you know they kind of adopted one policy uh, for both of them because there was no delayed release. Or or another release like Western release that would come out later or something like that. It's like it's one of those situations where like I can kind of see why they did it, but I kind of hope that there's like a practice that like I I hope they hear the feedback from the from their fans and you know decide to do something more friendly or different. So it's, it's like even if the reason was because of this new content that was 
New Game Plus gated. There should have been like maybe a quote unquote vanilla version of New Game Plus that was offered free as a base feature. Because this is kind not of just a mention, basic universal feature like a lot of other games. Not to mention, this game is $70. Yes. They increased the price. Yes, absolutely. So I think like the only could, thing you said, I, sorry, go ahead, James. It's like, you could say, oh, well, it's on next gen now. But the thing is, is that it's, it's like, isn't this still on like PS4 and Xbox One too? Yeah, yes. I, yeah, I, believe that's, on, I believe that's PS4. I don't know about Xbox One, but I know it's on PS4. So it's like, yeah, it's just, <sighs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel you. I feel. I, I definitely. You know, I, I agree with all the people out there against. Our website, that's rpusa.net sidebar, does say Xbox One, okay. and that sidebar is never wrong. Sometimes sure, wrong. No, no, I, I believe there's also an Xbox One in that case. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think the only thing you said that that I was double checking it as you were speaking. I went to the uh, the the master vacation bundle dlc and it ain't that's what you purchase to access new game plus and the big swell which is like the bonus dungeon i think the big swell you can access in post game of new game of your base game but it's just you you have to buy hmm. that dungeon and the new game plus at the same time with the fact that i'm even describing this is just how silly this is mm-hmm. like if you yeah. and not only but then not only that but I've had pre-release access to some of the other games in the series, uh, and oftentimes they bundle in the DLC. And and this is like the fact, like cosmetics and bonus items and uh, like extra gear or whatever level ups. Like that's that's every publisher's doing that. That's kind of it is what it is. It's 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 you know a well worn at this point. Uh, but like this game has the exclusive pre-order jobs, the linebacker and the uh, tennis ace, mm-hmm. and like. We didn't get those, which kind of surprised me. Yeah, but that actually actually made it kind of difficult because people ask, like, "What do you think about the, like jobs?" And like, I don't know, I didn't have access to those. I we we played the vanilla game without any bonuses, and so and I actually kind of thought once the game re- once the game released, I was like, you know what, you know, I I want to make sure my opinion is informed. Uh, also, I just enjoy the game, so let me let me see. Like, I'll I'll drop five dollars to buy those other jobs. Like, why not? Like I'll, that way, I can support the developer. And like, I should have known this, but I didn't. Like, you can't. Yeah. If you didn't pre-order the game, if you didn't pre-order the game as of right now, you cannot get access to those jobs. It was it, like I just see it, it was driving me insane because I wanted to like uh, like and our, and our job like Brian and I have been fucking shitting out guides for this game. So hopefully, if you have trouble with the game, we have a lot of guides. Please check them out. We kept them as spoiler free as possible. Um, but I was working on this jobs guide for the game, and part of the part of the thing I really wanted to do with this thing was make detailed skill lists for every job in the game. So like when people wanted to find the skill that they wanted to skill inherit later on, uh they could just like control F on that page to go find like, hey, I need something that like ignores guard uh for to skill inherit. Uh but what are the jobs that it has it? And like some of the in-game menuing to find that isn't great. So I was like, okay, I want this page to be a one where you can control F ignore ignores guard. And then you'll find all the jobs right away, uh, all the skills that ignore guard. So you can make that's a fast reference to do that. So, uh, you know, but I couldn't, like Brian said, I didn't have access to this tennis ace and linebacker uh, job. So I had to go, you know, uh, even earlier today before this recording, I was just like asking friends who pre-ordered it who have access. It's like, hey, can you, you know, just real quick, just send me a, a skill list of these jobs so at least I have it up on the site for people, you know. <laughs> so, so even if it's like a skeleton thing and you didn't like level them up all the way yet just like at least at least something that they know they have the properties to they're like okay sure so like but it's like driving me insane because like right i would have like 
you know, paid to kind of get access to these jobs, even if we didn't technically pre-order. Um, you know, it's just kind of a weird. And, and I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure they'll make them available at some point. But I can almost guarantee that when you do, I'll be like, eh, you know, I would have gotten it. I would have gotten it back in January. But whenever they make them available, if I'm making an assumption here, whenever they make them available, I'll be like, uh, you know, I've moved on, like sort of thing. Uh, and then mm-hmm. like when after I beat the game, so this this big swell, which so the base game, there is no what do they call it, like the true millennium tower or infinite millennium tower it was like the post game super grindy bonus dungeon which i'm always like i'm okay with that like having your grpg have a a real grindy dungeon at the end infinite well doesn't really have that there are a couple dungeons that do have some like e they call them ex sectors that you could consider post game but they're not to the same level like like you could pretty easily clear both of them before completing the story of this game or pretty soon into the premium adventure so I was thinking, like, maybe I'll, I'll, you know, pay for the the big swell bonus dungeon just to see, like, what is the super boss? Like, I like, I like to, I like this test myself and see, like, what the ultimate challenge is. And then I, I kind of hovered over the the bundle for a bit. It's twenty bucks here in the U.S. And I was like, you know what? I'm not interested, so I'm I'm not gonna do it. And it's just like, uh, it's just a bummer, man. It's just a bummer. Yeah, uh, we've talked before about Atlas Sega's like DLC practices and like Persona Three next week. It's a seventy dollars game, and I think it has like thirty dollars of DLC. It's I don't think it's any like new game plus, uh, you know, content sort of stuff. I think it's all like music and costumes and uh, personas. But still, just like seventy dollars game, thirty dollars of DLC day one already. But, and, but I'm maybe I'm a boiled frog, but I'm I I think I'm okay if that DLC is just like here's extra consumables or costumes. But as soon as you say like also personas, that's when I'm kind of like. Ugh. But it also reminds me, like, uh, Soul Hackers 2, its post-game dungeon was DLC. Oh, that's right. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, and that, that boss is pretty fun, but it's, like, it's not included in the game. Yeah. Uh, also, and then, like, Shin Megami Tensei 5, yeah, Demi Fiend, all that stuff, all the the fiends, that's all DLC. What was the price of that, though? Wait, for what? What was the price of that DLC? If I'm, if the, shit, the Soul Hackers one? Yeah. Let me check. I don't remember off the top of my head. So Yeah, I want yeah, to... Because I remember there's a lot of outward for it. It was like, oh, it's like you're charging that for this? I don't know. It's like, that's why I remember. Uh, if, I, if, if I remember right, the Demi Fiend was $5, but I don't... Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, geez. Um, so Soul Hackers 2, that that is called The Lost Numbers, and that's 12... To, or Sorry. Sorry. That's $10. But then there's also a costume pack that's $13, a demon pack that's $13, and an item pack that's $5. It's like, man. It also kind of feels, it kind of stinks a little bit, uh, like the linebacker tennis ace jobs. Like, I thought these jobs were just going to be, like, kind of tacked onto the game, you know? But it, but it's kind of integrated in a way. But the way they integrated this, uh, these jobs in the game is like, it's like, the, like any other job where you go to Aloha Happy Tours. And they have their own activity, their own unique cutscene for that activity to unlock them and like unlock condition conditions. And it, it kind of stings a little because I thought it was like just gonna be like, oh, they'll just get them, you know, just right right out of the gate. But it, now it just feels like it was like content that was like hard gate cut <laughs> to be like, yeah, it's, it's, it almost the way you're describing it. It almost feels like they designed the classes as normal, and then they drew a circle around it and said these two. Will be DLC. Yeah. No, I guess one maybe maybe it doesn't really matter, but it does make me curious. Like gear for those classes, like 
then like does a new shop open up that sells gear for the linebacker? Like how does that work? I think I think they're I think their gears added on to like um one of the shops. Like an, ex- an existing shop. Yeah. But still, that's like a whole that's like a whole because we didn't really touch on it. There's nothing too interesting to talk about it. But there's like the whole like weapon crafting system returns it's got a smarter material crafting economy than final fantasy 16 sorry <laughs> i feel bad about that but uh but like that's like a whole tier of weapons for two classes that like oh i guess we don't get to see any of that like it's just very strange the where they drew the line to, to cut it out yeah but you know regardless of all that uh we played the standard edition and i i still you know but it's still it's still a very beefy meaty game and yeah, mm-hmm. I gave it I gave it a per, uh, a ten on the site because I was like, this is one of the best offerings RGG Studio has ever made. One of the best games they've ever made, and it kind of it, it, it regardless of all the things that we just said, it still feels like a complete package. You're still it still feels like you're getting your money's worth for just the amount of content and the quality of content you're getting in this one game, even if you're just like on the base standard edition. One uh, one tiny thing I forgot to mention that is just kind of nice just for the setting mm-hmm. is that obviously this game is available with both Japanese and English voice tracks. But even I played it in Japanese just because I've played that for the series since the beginning. But because you're based in Honolulu, you will hear like English chatter. Uh-huh. And it just it just it just makes sense. And then the character that the new character that's introduced, uh, Eric Tamazawa, speaks and understands English. So they use that to kind of explain like why there isn't. A tr- like a, a full stop language barrier in the case that a character is speaking English. Uh, it was like that Tekken f- problem where everyone speaks different language, but they all can understand each other for some reason. Yeah, it's like historically how Tekken's always done it. <laughs> That's a, a, a accepted thing in like a long running franchise for that one. The only thing that's a bit strange is that and this this is a footnote of a footnote, but it is still there and it is still a bit strange. Is that you can listen to like podcasts on your phone. And if you're listening it to it, to it in Japanese, there is no subtitles, so it's it's kind of like, oh, do I just switch it to English if I want to listen to the podcast? So that that right there is a little bit rough, yeah. mm-hmm. but okay. so hope maybe I don't. I, it could be one of those things where if it wasn't intended to have subtitles, they couldn't just add them. Uh, the localizers, right? It's well, one of those what would have to happen in that case is that the development team in Japan would have to have added a place for subtitles to go. The the localization team can't just place subtitles there. They have to kind of be there to begin with, in order for them to have translated subtitles. Maybe they, or maybe, or so. maybe they could, but like they they don't have the workflow to do that because, and in, in every other case, they've got the subtitle box form to to adjust and put into the text, and they don't have that here. Right. There's literally no slot to put in a subtitle. They have the the development mm-hmm. team would have to have put that in. So. I'm trying to didn't. I'm trying to remember. There's there's two podcasts. One's in Japanese. I think the other one, even if you're, I hope I get this right. Even if you're paying in Japanese, the the lower of the two podcasts, I believe, is always in English because it's a, it's like a, a Hawaiian podcast. So it's like, oh, okay, it's, it's so, so it's the sort of thing like just you will hear English voices when playing the Japanese version of the game, but in an extent that makes sense. So. One of the things that that, that uh, since you brought it up, one of the things that uh, kind of amused me, it, it was pretty funny. Like it's like there. Obviously, for the conceit of the game, some of the conceit, uh, you know, some of the things that they have to kind of bed for the game is like there, there's like uh, a good amount of like Americans in this game that uh, speak very fluent Japanese and understand Japanese, like the cop, in, like the the beginning, near yeah. the beginning, that uh, tours you around District Five. Like he's, uh, it's like I don't think this fucking 
cop. <laughs> Speak fluent in Japanese. Well, and and well, the, well, the, well, the thing is, is that they could have. Uh, I don't know the history of like how they did, how they determined who the, the voice actors are saying. But like, if they got you know people who were bilingual, you you can kind of tell in cases where they didn't use the same voice actor for the English or Japanese voices, or they did, but that voice actor was clearly not only really proficient in one. Like one of the antagonists of this game, I believe, uh, Bryce. I won't say more than that. I believe he's American. Um, he seems like he's natural Hawaiian, but he is very fluent in Japanese and speaks with a Japanese accent when speaking in English, which I understand that might just be a limitation of producing a game that's being, you know, sold to multiple languages, but it's just, it's a little bit pulls you out of the moment. You, you think more about the voice actor there than the character. So there's a, there's a little bit of that. Yeah. Going yeah on. So, it's, a... so, like, it's one of those weird things, right? So for, for this character specifically, like I, I wonder what happened. Like I, I wonder what the behind the scenes exchange was because uh, obviously in the English version, English dub of this game, surely Bryce has like an English voice actor. So like for the English lines, they could have like done it like Dwight, for example, um, mm-hmm. where they employed like maybe an, an English voice actor for the English lines. But for some reason, and Chow, you'll know this person. Uh, the, the this uh, Bryce individual is voiced by Toru Furuya, who is the voice of Amuro, isn't it? Yeah, voice of Amuro Ray in Gundam, and he speaks a lot of Eng- English in this game, along with J- Japanese. And like, and for the English lines, like you know, it's it's you know, Furuya is uh, is native Japanese. Obviously, the way that they are taught English there, the way and the way that you uh, pronounce Japanese, um, you know, words, it's like it's hard to kind of get certain like sounds and vowels and uh, reproduce those lines like in a very fluid, natural English, uh, you know, sound because yeah, you speak the Japanese. Yeah, um, it's like no so matter what you do, you can't get L that accent, right? Yeah, it's it's tough, especially if you're not if you haven't like you know really worked at it over the years. Um, you know, so I, I like for in this particular case, I know we're getting too into the weeds here, but <laughs> I was thinking about this thought I think, experiment. I think it's interesting. Yeah, I, I th- like it's kind of like a weird thought experiment. It's like, I wonder if they had this original plan to have an English voice actor do this, uh, uh, these lines for Bryce, but then Furuya or someone other party was like, like, no, like he can do it. Furuya is like, he, uh, we, we want to get the authenticity down and Furuya can, can definitely uh, do these English lines like all right, okay, and he did like. I mean, right, and, like, and, and I, I also tie to like contracts and such. We just yeah, don't know, like exactly. Like uh, if I'm if I'm voicing Bryce, I'm voicing all of his lines, Japanese and English, and then mm-hmm. that's the result. That's true. And too. like I, I I don't know if it would be any more jarring if they like obviously had different voice actors doing both languages. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard or this. they had uh, one second. Let me butt in. Um, I heard sure. this from a friend, so I, th- I think this is true, but I haven't played the game myself. And I think she's a minor character, but the character played by Kason. Is that how you pronounce oh, her yeah. name? Yes, yes. That, that's, mm-hmm. She's bilingual. I think she's mm-hmm. from America, actually, the person. And so, like, her voice is, she, does, she did both the English and the Japanese. Yes. Yeah. So, that's, like, one character yeah. where they did do that, where it's, like, a native speaker of English who learned Japanese, I guess. I'm not sure. I don't know her history, but that's where it's the same voice. In either language, like same voice, voice. Same but I, I, I think there's only there's one just kind of minute difference there is that I, I think you understand this, but I'm just stating this for clarity of the podcast. Is that character is K? She like introduces the Aloha Links, um, like sub event. Uh, she only speaks one language, depending on your platform language of choice. 
that's one thing I guess I, maybe I should have prepared better. Oh, I, that, I see what I you mean. She, in, the, in the game, she's not bilingual, but the actress it, is. Yeah. Um, and then so one thing I guess I don't know is, and I'm, I feel kind of silly that I don't know this, is if you play Infinite Wealth in Japanese, the, Bryce is just one example of a handful of characters that speak both English and Japanese. But if I play it with the dub, is it still the same or do they, how do they present that? I guess I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 didn't, I, I didn't touch that out either. Like I, I didn't, I'll be honest here. I'd never flipped on the English audio once. Yeah. Me neither. And I'm completely okay with the English VA, like completely. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. But I just, I just don't know, like if they want to have that same idea of a language barrier in a dub, it must be challenging. That before. Yeah. yeah, it, it kind of reminds me. That, that, it reminds be... me of uh, the original Neo, which mm. does not have a voice selection. But like William speaks English, his familiar actually speaks Gaelic, although they only have like three lines. There's a there's like a Spanish woman who speaks like Spanish accented English, and then like everyone else speaks Japanese. I think that's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, it really does feel like uh, lived in in terms of you know having people on the city of Honolulu speaking multiple languages because that's how cities work if you've, if you've ever lived in one. So. Yeah, so... All right, um, I think I think we've touched on everything. <laughs> well, not everything because we would be here forever if we did, but uh, we've yeah, touched that, on... That, that, we've at least skirted the surface of every major topic. Yeah, there'll, there'll, there'll be things as people, you know, discover along the way. There's, I mean, you know, not, not a lot of players have, like, gotten to, like, certain aspects of the game that are, like, really, really interesting for us, right, Brian? So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we won't talk about it here. Um, but it's just it's a it's an incredible game, you know. I, it's going to be definitely one of my favorite games of this year. <laughs> it's just it's cool to see just like right out of the gate game. It's just right out of the gate of this year. It's just it's awesome. We 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 I I think probably too often we quote complain that we play games that are too long. And there are some games that we're playing where when you get at a certain hour mark, there's a little bit of that I want it to be over. At least That's I feel that. That's Persona 5, I think. It was like, okay, I don't think this game needs to be like 120 hours long, in my opinion. Oh, that's, that's for me. I feel like it overstates welcome around like the 90-hour mark. But yeah, I just... the 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 putting the foot down is just like i didn't really feel that much at all with this game and i felt it with i felt it with yakuza was four or five even six which is a shorter game uh but i did not really feel that here like i enjoyed this game front to back never really felt like i wish things had been cut out at least at this moment maybe i'm still in the honeymoon period but uh i'll reflect later and see if my opinions change but as, as of right now i it's i enjoyed the game front to finish it seems like we're not we're not alone it seems like the the the, the massive amount of feedback of people initial feedback from people who are playing this game like they've been having a blast to they're like wow this is really really impressive <laughs> so it's cool that like everyone's just coming together and be like yeah hell yeah you know well we had our extensive lengthy talk of like a dragon infinite wealth like josh mentioned we do have an extensive written review up on the site. Again, it is written um, as spoiler-free as possible. And then we do have a series of guides up on the site for, you know, jobs, weapons, classes, uh, things like that. So if you're playing through the game and you just want a little bit of, of rundown on some tips and tricks, go ahead and check those out. We know you're going to cheat on the tests. We got you. Yeah, we, we've got all the test answers for you. Just cheat.
Uh, we know you, you want those cool weapons from the photo rally spots. We got you. <laughs> I mean, these guys get time travel involved. If you think about it, I mean, you don't load back or save file from before. <laughs> you answer it correctly. Well, in real life, is that convenient? The second game we have listed is a game that also released here in the West this week. A game we've talked about on the podcast, I don't think yet this year, but uh, late last year it released in Japan. And that is Atelier Resleriana. So if you don't remember what this is, it is the mainline Atelier entry from last year. However, it is a designed as a free-to-play entry. And Josh has been playing the global launch of this game at least for the last couple of days. I'm not sure how long you've had access or if you had early access or not. No, but... I didn't have early access. I, I, I've been playing so... it uh, when it launched. Uh, on my Steam thing, it says I put 15 hours into this game. Wow, <laughs> this, this madman. <laughs> um, yeah, th- this is probably the longest Atelier game I've played since, like, Verona on PS3. <laughs> I'm just gonna doesn't even want to play a mainline gotcha game. Oh wait, actually, wait, that is a mainline game. Mm. Yeah, so there's Atelier Resdriana, uh, Forgotten Alchemy, and the Polar Knight Liberator. Um, uh, uh, did it did it have that subtitle in Japan, or is it only recently got an official English subtitle? Because I, I read that, I'm like, wait, I don't recognize that subtitle. I don't know if it no, has. Uh, so I know when the game, game was first announced, it had a subtitle. It was, you know, when translated, it was slightly different. And then when the official title came out, it was more or less the same. Um, oh, okay. I just didn't recognize it, so never mind. So uh, the, the like like Infinite Wealth, this game also has dual protagonists. Uh, one is a girl named uh, her her full name I forgot. It's like Resdelict or whatever. But uh, can I interrupt real quick? Yes, I was sorry. I was tripped up on Brian's title thing. Sorry. So, like, uh-huh. when it oh, was oops. announced in Japan, the way that Kite, our translator, translated the title was "The Forgotten Alchemy and the Liberator of Polar Night." Oh. And then the uh, the uh, the official English translation, the actual title is "Forgotten Alchemy and the Polar Night Liberator." So, more or less the same. I got it yeah. pretty damn close. Yeah. Yeah. So sorry. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so you shorten her name to Resna. Like how? Like there's a very Atelier series to do. They have like a full name, but then they go by a nickname. Um, and the uh, the whole premise of this game is, uh, it, I forgot that what the land's name was, but apparently in this in this world, uh, alchemy has been forgotten for about like 150 years, uh, because uh, the mana reserve has basically dried up, uh, thanks to this comet that happened. Uh, some time ago in this in this world, so Resna is uh, studying under her master, and she's trying to like uh, spread like you know the the joys of alchemy and trying to get people to remember, hey, alchemy is cool. You know, she's trying to make a living out of alchemy, like uh, you know, to produce things and sell things, and you know, just a, a very simple story setup. So that's kind of where the f- forgotten alchemy part of this uh, subtitle comes in. It's a very, very basic story uh, from the beginning. You've uh, learned about a little bit about Resna's background. She has a childhood friend named Izana. And then eventually she'll meet like two other original characters like Marion. Roman, I think his name was. Um, and it's it's pretty much, hey, you know, alchemy is fucking cool. I'm trying to gain, become a full-fledged alchemist uh, and like acknowledge her to my master. Uh, 
you know, to become a full-fledged alchemist. And then part of this story that they introduced early on is uh, the other protagonists of the Atelier games are also involved in this game. And they get, you know, it's like an, another world isekai story where they kind of get transported into this world. You have Tatori, Rorona, Ryza, um, Keith Griff, Judith, um, Mar- Marie. I've uh, seen Aisha. Aisha. Uh, and, you know, several other ones. Um, and, you know, so they interact, or you interact with them early on. Like, hey, we all got transported here. And we're all trying to find our way home, but and they they have none of their like all their alchemy powers are like can't be used in this world because like the way they perform alchemy in this world is fundamentally different from how they perform alchemy in their uh, own world. So they they don't have they're not like all beefed up uh, alchemists in this game as well. So that's kind of the reason why they can't fucking yeah, it's that's kind of the story reason why they can't you know wish away or make why something why they're why they're not coming in at like level one yeah. hundred. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and then the other side of the story is uh, another protagonist named Valeria. And Valeria is sort of your typical RPG protagonist where they lost their memory. Um, they, they're a badass, though. They know how to fight really well. And they have, like, you know, a fr- their, their first friend was, like, pretty much, like, the person who found uh, Like, and they have no idea of, like, who they are, pretty much. They're kind of working under this kind of shady order so they're kind of more like mercenaries for hire valeria is not a uh, alchemist her whole side of the story isn't really dabbling with alchemy um but eventually you know as you learn more about these two and it's more it's more resna focused than valeria focused early on um but eventually they they intertwine uh um their stories intertwined during this assignment to go um retrieve this uh lunar flower for resna Resna side, they want the lunar flower for uh, some sort of uh, alchemy recipe. For Valeria's side, it's like an oil, like order from the organization that they're working under, and they 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 agreed to help with each other because Valeria's friend got lost, and so they decide to go explore together because it's safer. And eventually, this coalesces into like a um, a, ru- a direct run in with the the main antagonist of this game, the Polar Knights. Um, and they're or the polar alchemists rather and they're sort of like the bad alchemist group they do alchemy but they do it for bad things um and that's kind of where the story has kind of ended off for now at least from my playthrough right now i'm still going through it uh because there's like you know uh, there's a lot of like there's story gating in the sense that like sometimes to get to the next part of the story you need to fulfill certain things so you need to have like seen the previous story and then but you need to also craft like a certain recipe that you obtain, but in order to craft this recipe, you need to fill, fulfill other prerequisites where you need to like uh, synthesize another thing and then go past this dungeon. But some like the power level of that dungeon might be like higher than what you can handle right now, and so forth. And it's kind of interesting to see that like how they were able to uh, make uh, the alchemy parts of the Atali series like a very big deal in this game uh, because. Like as you're progressing through the game and doing its content, you'll get new recipes and they'll have like rarities. But also, as you're synthesizing them uh, with the proper materials, you'll also have to decide on which characters you want to involve in the synthesizing process. They kind of like all line up, and but they're all they all have specific like colors given to them. And then so like a recipe might like 
except the initial starting colors of like blue, per a uh, pink, and yellow. So you have to find characters that have like us like uh, are color coded blue, pink, or yellow at the beginning, and then so you choose them. But each character has two colors, so like you choose maybe like a blue and yellow uh, as their secondary color. So once you choose like the blue character to start off the alchemy thing, you now need to pick a yellow coded person uh, to follow up on that uh, synthesis process. So it's just matching colors, basically. At each each uh, each step of the way, uh, each character has an applicable uh, two traits that uh, may apply to what you're synthesizing, and that can be like can show up in the final product. So let's say you have this AOE healing potion and you choose uh Dali as like the starting character to synthesize it uh and but they have the trait guardian's blessing guardian's blessing uh makes it so if that applies to like if that if that trait is carried over to like the final product whenever you do this uh aoe healing spell now all your characters have like that defense buff on them that guardian's blessing defense buff and obviously uh, like in like in the games, these these traits have like uh, certain effectiveness. So they could be like Guardian's Blessing one, two, three, four, or five, for example. So you start like like in Natalia games, you can you can start going to the like deep into the rabbit hole of like manipulating like what traits you want into into a certain item because uh, that'll serve you uh, in the long run during battles. Um, and so if I remember, it. this one is just like it's simplified to a point. It's just you just collect the materials and that's it. Was it? Yeah, you just collect you just collect the materials and then and then it's very straightforward color matching, and then um and then what and then a secondary gotcha to this game besides characters is like what like the the memoria. It's like your yeah. artifact relic, whatever yeah. you want to call. It. But I mean, like it's also like a gotcha in terms of, like if you if you get the traits that you want on like the the item and like the rarity of the item. So sometimes like you have this SSR recipe that you unlocked, but like your final product may only be like a SR, like a gold instead of like a rainbow item. So it's less effective. So you need to go uh, make another one and hope you get like a more effective one and also get the traits that you want on. The the traits aren't like. Um. Uh, the thing that really clicks with me in this game, like the, the only like the reason like I kind of like playing this game, despite it's like free to play gotcha nature, is like the battle system is actually really really fun and compelling to do in this game. So it's a turn based RPG, and then a lot of it a lot of it is timeline manipulation. Yeah, you can field up to five members in battle, and they all have different roles like. Like, you know, some characters are defenders, some characters are supporters, some characters are attackers, etc. And but you have you have this timeline, try to visualize it, and you have a turn order, and you see these ca- and then the the timeline moves from left to right with the right with the with the rightmost character or enemy acting uh first. And along this timeline, there'll be different icons. Icons for uh damage taken uh, or you deal decreased damage uh and then you deal increased damage and burst those are like the three main icons you're worried about on this timeline um obviously you're trying to manipulate so ideally you want this decreased damage turn to be on enemies and then the damage up and burst ones to be on your characters um 
And you do this uh, through different ways. Um, each character has three attacks. One is a very basic attack that doesn't do a lot of damage, but it gets their turn sooner. So they slot into like they can like slot into the timeline sooner, get their turn faster. But it'll move like other characters around them to different spots of the timeline. The second one is a much more damaging skill, but the but the but the their next uh, turn is like farther off. And the third one is their burst, and that's like the big big skill damaging skill that they have that they they can only unlock during a burst uh, turn. So normally this attack is uh, unusable unless they get they get their turn on a, on a burst turn. So uh, and uh, and enemies have not only their HP bar but a break bar as well. So when you break enemies, that'll cancel their upco- uh, upcoming turn, and they'll be uh, left in a stun phase until later that they they can. So let's say like an, uh, an incoming enemy turn is upcoming, and they have like a burst on them, and you want to cancel out that burst. One of the ways to do it is to uh, uh, break them so that turn no, is no longer theirs, and then it's if an ally is after them normally, then that ally gets that that burst turn instead. Um, so and then another way you can manipulate it is by uh, using items. So normally you cannot use items unless you get the item bar filled, uh, but because like you might think it's like that's really restrictive. Why would they restrict you on using items? So the main thing, the the main primary use of like items in terms of like just be, just universally buffing or debuffing enemy your party or enemies is like when you use items, it'll shift the entire timeline back one. Um, so because you're because uh, using items is a dedicated turn, kind of like a free turn, but it, it shifts the whole timeline back one. So let's say there's an enemy turn income, uh, turn incoming that has a burst, and like you have no way to like break them in time, but you have your items, you can use an item uh, on that turn. So instead of like waiting for the inevitable and like uh, dying because of an enemy burst, you can actually use an item. Uh, on that turn to like shift the whole entire timeline back one, so you're moving that burst turn now to the next person in front of them instead. You know, I was actually watching my friend playing this game, actually. It wasn't me playing it. I posted a picture on the staff channel, but it was my friend who was playing it. He was a big hardcore Atelier fan and a big massive whale. Uh, but he was playing it, and it's like he was trying to explain this. Is I'm like, hmm, this looks like trails to me. <laughs> it is kind of like trails. Yeah, you like it. Yeah, it, it's uh, admittedly pre- pretty, like very similar to the trails timeline manipulation uh, mechanics. But I really like kind of the the risk reward type of deal, where like your some of those like sacrifices you have to make. Like each of your attacks are pretty useful. But one is much weaker, but you but you're you're able to manipulate the timeline. And plus, like each attack you do usually has like a secondary effect. Like for example, Verona's basic attack doesn't do a lot of damage, but it'll like decrease the the enemy's target uh, fire resistance for like two turns. You know, so if you have like Ryza incoming and she's a fire element, you know, she'll do a lot of damage uh, to that like uh, enemy now because it has a uh, resist down to fire. Uh, stuff like that, um, and uh, so you can actually like overcome like stages that are on paper numerically a higher uh, power level than you just by proper timeline and item manipulation in battle. And it's it's actually 
a surprisingly deep strategy game um despite all of like the like the kind of the nature of the the game itself so i'm a big fan of like smart timeline manipulation and turn-based combat like that that's the that's the thing that really get, gets my ears going like if you have a really compelling like battle system in a turn-based game that lets you like really mess around with that kind of stuff freely like i'm 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 usually going to be in there for quite a while so that that's like kind of like the primary reason why i play this because i really think that the battle system is actually fun to figure out and thinking about like how to like overcome like really uh hard enemies because like your characters themselves aren't tanky at all you can die like in two hits uh on challenging stages um if you if you let enemies take like a really big turn away from you so that's kind of like where uh, what my angle is like oh this is actually a really fun battle system you kind of have to deal with some bullshit gotcha typical gotcha bullshit but once if you can get past that there's actually a really pretty fun gameplay loop to this game there's like a lot of like nice quality of quality of life things uh, uh in this game like for example if you three star a stage or a dungeon or whatever you don't have to play that again you can just like skip it freely for, for like materials and experience if you need something so as long as you three star something you never have to manually play it again you can just like skip it and then uh move on to like the more important stuff so you're always you're, you're always playing things that are like fun for you and not and less of a chore because you don't have to really manually like replay things that you've already beat unlike other other like games of this nature where they may have like a skip ticket system so you have like another resource that you have to like worry about because you're running out of skip tickets on those games so it's like nah just skip it freely and don't worry about it you know so that's where i'm coming from in this game so it's actually it's actually all right it's actually pretty fun i'm very surprised that i'm like enjoying it you know, I, I don't think I hear, like, the main game itself being bad back when it launched. It was just, like, all the paid and predatory practices is like, why are you charging 6,000 yen for a 10-pole? You know, it's, like, stuff like that. It's just, those yeah, things I, are screwed. I, I, I heard they lowered the price on that in Japan. Like, I, like there, there are, you know, there are some, like, packages here that are, like, one time, but you get, like, more value out of them. It's, like, your typical gacha packages like, shit. But, but even then, like, e- even... Six thousand yen for a ten pole is insane. What yeah. were they thinking? Yeah, it's not good. And it's not like it's the same rates as Grand Blue. It's not. It's not like some crazy rates either. So it's not like oh, <laughs> even in Grand Blue that feels fucking low. It's like what is it six percent SSR? It's like it's so low in Grand Blue terms because the pool is so infested. There's like over four hundred SSR units. You know, it's at that point it's like how the hell you get the unit you want. But even even with lower characters, you know, you can still like if you if you're if you're able if you're able to commit to like building up those characters and like have a good grasp on the battle system, you can still get by. It's not like it's not like the higher rarity characters are, like mandatory to enjoy this game. You can still get by on like the lower rarity characters. And yeah, just, like, I, I get that. Up. A lot a lot of yeah. gotcha games are designed that you can beat it with the minimum stars. It's just I don't like using them. That's that's how it goes. I like to use my favorite characters. Yeah, well, there you go. Like, I mean, yeah. So I mean, you. That, I'm not. I'm not gonna say go run out and like play this game immediately. It's just like it's for me. I'm a. I, I just like turn-based battle systems that are fun. <laughs> That's just me, though. So thank you, Josh, for going back to back and covering impressions of the global launch of Atelier Resoriana, whatever subtitle I said it was. 
The third game that we have listed here is actually a combo of a upcoming game releasing in February. It just released in Japan a couple of days ago at the time of recording, and that's Shirin the Wanderer 6. Um, this is coming out in February here in the West, exclusive for Nintendo Switch, and James was able to go hands-on with Shirin the Wanderer, the mystery dungeon of Serpent Coil Island. So we have some preview impressions on that. And then it sounds like James also uh, went extracurricular and started playing a few other games in the series as well. So without further ado, I'll hand it off to James to talk about Sure and the Wanderer. Yeah, so um, earlier this month, we had the chance to uh, play a couple of hours. Well, I had the chance to play a couple of hours of uh, Sure and the Wanderer, the uh, Mystery Dungeon of Serpent Coil Island. Uh for the anonymous code interview that I put up a few months ago, that was actually at, uh, like I met up at Spike Chunsoft's North American offices. And there was a similar deal this time where there were a couple of outlets that were invited to uh, try out the Western version of uh, Sharon 6. I'm just going to say Sharon 6 from now on because those this, this series titles are way too long. Um, but yeah, so played a couple of hours. I think... Uh, around like three and a half to four hours. So if you played a Sheer and the Wanderer game before, you know, that's a pretty decent chunk of time. Gets you a decent idea of what's new, what's different and how it's stacking up. Um, so I know Adam has played Sheer and the Wanderer games before. Has anyone else played them? Have you I played, played any show? Oh, you I have. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Sheer I've, and I've six... only played Pokemon. Mystery I only games. played the first one with the fan translation. I think if you feel back in those days, they were either comparing this game or to that Dragon Quest roguelike, the Tornado, I think it was. Yeah, the original. Well, the original Mystery Dungeon game. That's how yeah. Sheer and the Wanderer was born off of that. Yeah, so people were just always comparing these two games side by side. It's like, which it's one's like, better? Yeah, it's like back in the day, Chinsoft made that uh, spinoff, and it's like, oh shit, this we have something here. We need to make our own original IP out of this. But, uh, yeah, so... I guess to start with the things that are new with uh, Sharon 6, uh, it's all 3D now. Not a huge surprise, considering pretty much all of the most recent uh, Mystery Dungeon games have been 3D, whether it be Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, Estri- uh, well, sorry, Etrian Mystery Dungeon, or uh, otherwise. Void Terrarium. So, <laughs> I don't think that's the same developer, so it doesn't no, really but it's, count. No, but it is 3D, and it is a Mystery Dungeon game. Sorry. Yeah. So anyways... Uh, a lot of the elements from previous uh, Sharon the Wanderer games return. Like you have uh, the equipment upgrade system resonance. You have um, different um, items with different abilities inherent to them. They can be cursed. They can be blessed. All sorts of stuff like that. I, I'm not sure if blessed stuff is new. I think it might be new. But like now you have the chance of finding items that are either blue or orange. Uh, and they have like uh, increased stats versus like normal versions of those uh, items, I believe. Uh, but some things have changed. First off, and uh, prior to this week, I thought the day night cycle was something that Sharon 5 added to the series, but apparently that was either Sharon 4 or maybe even earlier on that was that it was added. Uh, well, the day-night cycle is gone. So when you're in the dungeon, instead of it um, being a constant day-night cycle after a certain point into the excursion, now you have a different system where at later floors, these uh, larger monsters that are basically completely shielded from the front and the sides, called behemoths, can spawn. 
And uh, unlike with uh, night monsters in previous games, there is no benefit to actually engaging with them. Defeating them will get you one XP. And they're very hard to uh, to uh, defeat. They move very slowly, and you can only damage them from behind because the front and the sides they basically have a barrier that prevents you from hitting them. Um, so your best bet is to just ign- ignore them entirely. But since um, the day night cycle is gone, that means that also torches are gone. So that's one less thing that you need to worry about in your inventory managing. In addition to your healing items, your uh, like buffing uh, um, items, like maybe your staffs, maybe your scrolls, that sort of thing, as well as your equipment. So that's one less thing to worry about. Um, but uh, gameplay-wise, one of the major changes, and there were like branching paths in previous uh, Sharon games, but there's definitely way more of a focus on it this time. And there's also an interesting little thing where when you go between different biomes in the Mystery Dungeon, as happens all the time in uh previous games uh you actually see a bit of a world map and it's not like you can choose where to go it just like kind of shows your overall progress by actually showing the process of uh sheeran going like exploring the island okay. and you kind of can see the path and then as you progress through the different uh areas and like with each like different attempts you might unlock alternate pathways like early on there is a village of ninjas who have basically just like uh, abandoned their posts and they're trying to live in peace in this one village on the island. And there is an alternate exit from that uh, village that is a bit of a shorter trek, but it's more dangerous. So if you want to uh, try and grind early on, you can like linger around on those floors and then just like move forward without having to worry about like a uh, behemoth spawning quite uh, so early on those floors. And you can just take advantage of that and then like move on from there. Uh, there's also way more of a focus on the story aspects of it, but Sheeran as a series very clearly story has not been uh, a, a major focal point or in fact, a strong suit as we'll get to later uh, when I talk about Sharon four, uh, but yeah, uh, overall, my impressions are it's it's a Sharon the Wanderer game. It's good. I I mean, if it's been like 14 years since the last one, so it's definitely been quite a bit of a wait. So I'm very curious how folks will feel about it when it uh, launches, but I'm enjoying it. Well, I enjoyed what I played of the preview so far, and uh, looking at a few like Japanese impressions, it seems like it's been well-received over, over there, too. So. That's good. I was, I was wondering how it's going to go because of the shift to 3D for the game. Yeah. Uh, I'm bad for this game because of the release date. Like, yeah. oh, just put it like a day before the, all the big major release. Just like a yeah. current fighting game that I was playing. It's like, why would you put it a day before Tekken 8? Yeah. Uh, you can just say Undernight too. Yeah. <laughs> it, it who will not be named. That yeah. port shall not be named. <laughs> they fixed most of the issues already. Makes you wonder why it launched in that state, but hey. <laughs> But um, he didn't hesitate to say Tekken Eight, but he didn't want to say Undernight. Yeah, because he knew everyone was going to laugh at him when he said it. You know what, Chow? I bought Undernight too. I haven't bought Tekken. Bought both because a friend said they was going to go away in March, so mm-hmm. it's like buy Tekken now so we can play. And we both suck, so it sounds like a good deal. Fair <laughs> enough. But anyways, that, yeah. that's uh, <laughs> Shirin Six. Uh, comes out next month. 
for a Nintendo Switch in the US and Europe. And uh, yeah, it's uh, pretty good so far. Uh, we're probably, I assume we're probably getting code in sometime within the next like week or two, but we won't be able to talk about like the full game until obviously later next month. Uh, what I can talk about, though, is uh, a fan translation for Shiren the Wanderer 4 released earlier this month. Uh, I was not familiar with uh, anything specific about Shiren the Wanderer 4, or really any of the previous games bes besides 5 and I guess now 6, because obviously Shiren the Wanderer is already a bit of a niche series in the West, and we've only ever really gotten like the remake of the first game, the third game, and then the fifth game up until this point in the West. We never got two and four. I'm beginning to understand why we didn't get four. <laughs> uh, yeah, why is that? <laughs> okay. Racism. <laughs> hmm. Oh, I see. Hmm. Very, very <laughs> racist. Like, I was shocked because usually, like, I can understand there's still being some, like, cultural insensitivities coming out of, like, these, like, predominantly, like, Japan-focused games. This released in 2010, and the entire nexus of the story is, is that Shirin gets shipwrecked on a random island in the Southern Pacific, and, uh, Native Islanders. Very, hmm. very racist stereotypes of uh, native like islanders. Oh, uh, very, very racist. Like, I know that like uh, Brian saw like my tweets about it, but it's like, I, 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 the I best word I can think of is uh, like, like old Looney Tune depictions of black characters That's there kind of is there is of. a kit there is a so there's character models for like kids and the islanders you can talk to one of them uh the uh, young boy uh they draw his face unironically like a cartoon monkey that is not an exaggeration that's exactly how yeah, they did it i, did it. <laughs> uh, I was rough. gonna use a different comparison but i always find like i don't know indiana jones the temple of doom i always find that movie's kind of like racist when it comes oh, to yeah, the stereotype 100%. that they yeah. do and i find that movie age extremely poor yeah, oh, that's most Indiana Jones the movies, to be honest, dude. Yeah, yeah. I did, I've never heard much about Shiren for it. I've like, I've, I only my the thing that I the, the only Shiren game that I only really pay, well, put much time into is the the most recent one that came out. Yeah, but uh, well, yeah, well, the most recent ones, the one where they first the started that, to give it like a little bit more of a global push. It's it's very, very weird because like looking into like uh Sharon 4 and 5, it's like I was wondering why the hell they're so similar, and then I found out that they released the same fucking year. <laughs> oh I didn't know that. That's weird. Yeah, Sharon yeah. 4 Sharon 4 launched in February of 2010. Sharon 5 launched December of that same year. Five was sort of so, weird because it was it was originally DS and then Vita and then PC and then Switch. Yeah, uh, so Sheeran 4 was originally DS, and then there was a PSP version. Uh, so I've been playing it on, like, I'm, I've been ignoring the racism I pretend to not see just because I wanted to see the gameplay. You're just playing it playing academically it at this point. Academically. Or, uh, it's very or, funny. Since I'm playing this on my Vita, and obviously the pixel art is pretty much damn near identical to Dice of Fate. Like, if you took a screenshot of the Vita version of Dice of Fate and then the PSP version of uh, Sheeran 4 running on a Vita, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference because for all intents and purposes, since it's a, it's a perfect 
two times scale, it's going to be exactly the same pixels. <laughs> it's really funny. Uh, which is the only funny thing about uh, that game. Uh, it's just... Uh, Gameplay-wise, again, like I said, very, very similar to 5. Like, it, and knowing how close the proximity was for the two games, I guess that makes sense. Because it's like, well, of course they'd be damn near identical. They've released the same year. They have many of the same gameplay-like elements. They have, like, the day-night cycle with the ability orb and all that. It's like, it's... The dungeons are different. Some of the enemies you face are different, but a lot of them are the same. It's like, okay... um. I'll just say it now. If you loved Sheeran the Wanderer like five, which is again the Tower of Fortune and the Dice of Fate, there is not a major re- there's no real reason why you should go back and play four. I'm still going to try and beat it, but it's like just looking at the gameplay, it's like, yeah, there's not much here that's or anything so far here that's different. The only thing that's really major is that since this takes place on a a tropical island, instead of having Onigiri. You have bananas, which basically work the same way, except they're annoying because once you eat the banana, you still have the banana peel in your inventory, which you have to get rid of. Hell yeah. So it's like, so it's like, it's kind of cute in that way, but it's also like, man, (laughs) that's a bit much. (laughs) In a pinch, do you think you could eat a banana peel if you had to, if it meant clearing out your inventory? (laughs) I don't think you can. It it's not it's not an option. I thought you meant but, like in uh, real life uh, if you were just starving. I, 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 was, I was I was being dumb. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> you, you had to if your backpack but, had limited space and you had a banana peel that you had to squeeze away somewhere. But then you forced yourself to wolf it down. Anyway, no yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, Sharon Four. Uh, very very unfortunate. Uh, I did you know that Masato Kato wrote this game? Hmm. All right. <laughs> uh, de- definitely makes. Cross, uh, yeah, here. that yeah. that definitely makes uh, some of the stuff like the core conceit of the story, where literally, it's just bad. What was it? Was a hack. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's been it's been some time since that game, so hopefully, you know, the things have moved on. Still, it was 2010. I mean, that's yeah, not I, that. I, I, that's I, I, not I, I, that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying it's excusable. I'm just saying, you know, time's moved on. Yeah, and... just yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a mistake then. Yeah. Luckily, it anyway, seems like both five and six avoid that pitfall. Yeah. Anyways, uh, if you've been interested in playing Sharon Wanderer, play uh, Tower of Fortune Dice of Fate. If you're interested in playing four, uh, maybe don't. <laughs> not because it's like gameplay is bad, but it's like it's so similar to five, and it doesn't have the extra baggage sell. Well, it's one of those things where like, if it didn't have that and you, you know, you like the gameplay of five and let's say you play six when it comes out, like say, and you still want more then at that point. It's like, I, you know, the similarity might be a benefit. You say, yeah, it's still got the same great qualities, but because it's got that caveat, you're like, well, you've got five and seemingly six that are both really high quality and without the caveats. So there you go. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I I bought this on PSN on my Vita. It, you know how much this cost? I'm kind of mad about that. <laughs> it was four, 4200 yen. That's $25 awesome. Canadian, isn't it? That's not, not even a 10 $25 USD, isn't it? <laughs> not even a 10 <laughs> I'm sorry, our currency is just a 4200 <laughs> So that, like, with conversion, it was, like, just a... Uh, bit below 30 bucks, which... Uh, uh, that, that does remind me... Uh, 
sorry to go back to, to like a dragon, but in that <laughs> game, whether or not you're in Honolulu or Japan, they're like your your currency will convert automatically at the at the rate of a hundred yen as a dollar. Which it truly is like a fantasy. The, it truly is <laughs> yeah, a fantasy. It, it, that used to be like the rule of thumb for an estimate, but it, you know, a lot recent years it's less and less accurate. And I saw some people say like they should just have that be part of hard mode, have the real exchange rate between the game the could be interconnected, connected, just like automatically update the conversion rate like every year, like, like every day. That would be fun. There you go, Yakuza Nine. My friends and I were talking about the same exact thing. It's like imagine like the if you think of all those, just like a real time. Uh, rates uh, manager, like <laughs> it just updated which, in real time. No, if you're paying that which rates for you high difficulty, in. it's like you're being scammed. That which something. dungeon you grind in, whether it's in Japan or in Hawaii, depends on the exchange rate. <laughs> be, oh my god, that that would fucking be a. Fucking I hope crazy someone game. makes. I I hope someone makes a mod for that. I really oh, do. That'd be so sick. <laughs> oh man. Well, but anyways, I think that covers yeah. us. Yeah. So then, thank you for the double the double duty on the covering the preview for Sure and the Wanderer Six. Again, I also forget its subtitle. Uh, sure and the, the Wanderer Mystery Dungeon of Mystery... Serpent Coil Island. Yeah. There you go. Uh, and then you also went ahead and played a little bit of Sure and the Wanderer Four. And we do have the rewritten preview of James Time with Sure and Six on on the website. Before we go into news, it's an average news slate this week, uh, but we do have a lot of other features that I at least want to shout out. Um, one of them we've talked about on a previous podcast, and while James kind of has the floor here, uh, you did write up a official review because one didn't exist on the website for World of Demons. This is the Apple Arcade exclusive that you uh, talked about on the podcast. I forget if it was last week or two weeks ago. but Two weeks ago, uh, yeah. Right, with the considerations of it being delisted and no either no longer playable now or within a few weeks like there's a couple there's like a grace period that ends like in a month uh so basically uh you can no longer download it if you already have it downloaded you can still play until february 1st so you only have like a couple of days left to actually play that game before it is well and truly erased from existence mm-hmm. and uh so you took it upon yourself to write up a review for it to at least have something in its memory yeah it's i mean not much i can say now that i didn't already say a few weeks ago it's just like Mm. it is a travesty that this was allowed to happen and uh, the very thought that this might be possible for fantasian which again like was our rpg of the year 2021 is uh very concerning and i hope that uh i hope that going forward these like exclusives can at least get like ported to other platforms more readily i know that some have been like uh shinsekai or i i think that was that capcom game that was uh the like underwater Underwater thing thing. yeah yeah so it's like that got ported i know a few other things have gotten ported but it's like just because people don't pay attention to apple arcade doesn't mean that there's game that there's not games there that are worth preserving arguably any game there is worth preserving but especially some of the exclusives that people maybe don't talk about like I have a buddy of mine that I was talking with that she played uh, the uh, Choo Choo Rocket game that was exclusive to Apple Arcade. Apparently, it was excellent, like r- a really, really good game. It no longer exists. No longer and the exists. The thing is, is I, I saw, I forget if it was your tweet or the RPG site tweet for the review. You know, there there is always that 1% of people that say, well, that's a mid game. Who cares? 
But it's just like, well, you know, that's not really miss, that's, that's like missing the point that's, that's, entirely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's exactly what I was getting at. It's like, well, you know, talking about, you know, whether or not Xbox in the next generation is going to have physical storefront at all. A lot of incentive across multiple publishers to move to digital distribution, subscription services, things like that. Like we're only going to be more and more into this pool. Is this something that is going to be like right now? It's kind of a interesting niche unfortunate one-off case is it going to stay that or it feels like the risk is just going to be higher and higher well, it's, it's, it's like point. it's like comparing like for people see it's a mid-game it's like remember when taco bell took the quesarito off the menu for some people there's like that's a mid burrito i'm like fuck you that's the only thing i ever ordered from taco bell in the last 15 years that i liked okay that's like me so, with cereal it's like so, the tricks Cereal. I can't find it for sale in Canada. Taco Bell took the quesarito off the menu. I was legit devastated. I'm like, why the fuck would they do this? So, I did yeah. not know we were going to ex- to compare World of Demons <laughs> to the Taco Bell quesarito. I'll never forget. World of Demons is the quesarito of uh, platinum uh, action RPGs. Yeah, that just doesn't exist anymore. Fuck. Uh, we also do have a couple other reviews up on the site for some recent releases. Uh, Josh, too, put up a review for Apollo Justice Ace Attorney Trilogy. And in addition to that, uh, Josh, with, I think, some help from Alex, did put up a full walkthrough for for that trilogy of games. So basically, if you're latecomer or revisiting the Ace Attorney Trilogy and you're playing the new uh, collection... We have both a review up on the site as well as a uh, full walkthrough if you want to follow a walkthrough. I have to assume the next thing you're going to do is the the Miles Edgeworth games, right? The, are those the only ones left to bring over? I mean, they for a modern re- re-release? Yep, those would be games. it. Because we've yeah. gotten like uh, all of the mainline games. we got both uh, Great Ace Attorney games. It's literally just the... Uh... Miles Edgeworth games, which I feel like at this point they've got to happen eventually. They, I mean, yeah, I feel like it has to be like I, I'm so excited because those are those are the games I like love the most. Actually. Like I, I I've been fiending for like the localization, official localization of the second Miles Edgeworth game. Those are just was only the first one officially localized. Yeah, yeah. Just in, just imagine that we get the uh Ace Attorney Investigations collection before we hear anything about Ace Attorney Seven from Capcom themselves. It's it, it's crazy, right? Because it's like it's the I feel so bad too. Where it's like it's taking them so long to like uh, even mention that there's going to be at, a new Ace yeah. Attorney. At least, Uh-oh. at least for most Western fans, they had the Gray Ace Attorney collection, which is essentially new for people that did yeah. that don't that didn't that can't read Jap- couldn't read Japanese, but. And 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 I mean and I mean to be fair, like I'd argue that the Great Ace Attorney duology is probably the strongest the series has been. So at least the most recent official entries are also the best. But still, but I'm thinking about what was, the, what was the last new Ace Attorney game in Japan? Was that Dual Destinies or no? Well, no, Spirit of Justice would have been after that. But no, Great oh. Ace Attorney one and two came out after them i believe because i think great ace attorney 2 was uh 2017 in japan i believe oh was it yeah let me check uh i forgot about spirit justice coming after dual destinies that's right yeah it's been some time there it's been almost a decade (laughs) uh great ace attorney 2 came out in august of 2017 japan no wonder they didn't get localized (laughs) until yeah until the collection 
So yeah, it's it's been yeah, well, it's coming up on a decade there. No new game. Yep. And then the other uh, feature review that we have up on the site. It's rare that we do this, but we actually uh, wrote a early access review for the survival game Enshrouded. So yeah, last week we talked a little bit about early access for Power World, just as much as uh, Josh was willing to experiment. But then Junior was able to cover and review Enshrouded, which released in uh, Early Access uh, a few days ago. So uh, he's got his review up on the site. He does compare it to a few other um, survival games that he's played. He mentions in a lot of ways that Enshrouded feels like a game that's really meant to be played co-op, but his experience, just just, just for clarification, was as a single-player experience. Uh, and then the, one of the things that he really praised was the movement about how you unlock like grappling and gliding and things like that. Uh, as well as, of course, like the base building, tearing up mechanics. It's pretty uh, kind of typical and expected for, for these survival games. But overall, uh, Junior seemed pretty positive on the early access for Unshrouded. And apparently we've got a few other like friends of the site that have been kind of playing it, even though it's kind of been under the radar relative to its contemporaries this month. Uh, but yeah, seems like it's doing a, a pretty good experience for uh, releasing an early access this month. Yeah, I heard uh, pretty good stuff about it. Like, you know, a lot of people uh, make comparisons to, like Mortified Valheim. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I think the, the the most compelling uh, thing about this game compared to its like period is like the the freeform terraforming of this game. So, like, for people who like Red Faction, for example, if you want terraforming again, this might be like the game for you to play, uh, being able to play around the environment. And with that, I think that covers all of our features. Uh, tied to one of these features, since we talked about Sheeran 7, uh, Spike Chunsoft, sorry, Sheeran 7. Is it 7 or 6? Six? 6. Six. Yeah, Sheeran 6, the new one coming out in February. Uh, Spike Chunsoft did discuss uh, like opening pre orders for the game is available on the eShop. Again, it's exclusive to uh, Switch. And also gave us a little bit of a primer uh, onto some early, on early creatures that you'll find in the game. Going into the rest of the news, we have a couple of uh, smaller game announcements, uh, a few release dates, and then one shutdown announcement, as seems to be the case uh, in recent weeks. Uh, so one of the announcements of the games, this one is a smaller title called The Nameless, sorry, The Nameless Slay Dragon, announced for PC, set for release at some point this year. This is being published by Whisper Games, which my understanding is the same publisher that brought Astalibra kind of over to uh, Steam and eventually Switch. And then the developer, Nameless Sword Studio, is also a single, you know, a single-person development studio. So that's kind of how the publisher is framing the announcement of this game, the Nameless Slay Dragon, is that it's kind of like, you know, cult, cult classic hit, Astalibra. Well, this is kind of in the same vein, sort of. Uh, but announced it's coming out at some point this year, exclusive for PC. It has kind of some dungeon crawler type vibes to it it's got an art style that's kind of reminiscent of etrian odyssey that's the best comparison i have i don't know if I'm there's just another thinking one about like swords of the stranger or whatever that thing is called stranger of sword city yes yes yes, yes. that's a title just, i just haven't seen it in a long time i forgot what it's called mm-hmm. but yeah we've got the announcement trailer up on the site as well as some details from the publisher whisper games and some screenshots it's got a pretty art style it's got a logo that looks very a lot like uh took inspiration from darkest dungeon but yeah a dungeon crawler like sort of indie game coming out uh at some point this year we'll keep an eye on it 
And then this one's not quite an announcement, but I had to remind myself when it was announced from the developers of um, Arknights. Oh, what's that? There you go. It's like a tower, the tower defense game that Zach always plays. Arknights. Mm-hmm. So from the developers of Arknights, uh, it's Hypergriff under the publishing label Griffline. Back in 2021, they announced a premium RPG called X Asterisk. So this is a, it's, it seems interesting to see it described this way. This is a buy to play title. That is, it's a mobile game. You pay 10 bucks for it and you own the game that will launch on February 27th for both iOS and Google Play worldwide. So this is the first time that we had covered the game since 2021. I don't know, Adam, if it went completely dormant since then, or if this is the first time we've had any just real major updates since then. But that includes both a launch date trailer, which obviously revealed the release date of late February, as well as a gameplay showcase, which touch, it's, about, it's only about a minute long. It touches a lot on both just movement and exploration, as well as the, um, the turn-based battle system uh, for this I- game. I'm kind of interested in checking this out. I saw that gameplay showcase. I was like, that's a really interesting prospect. That like, uh, you know, it's gonna be it'll, it'll be a complete game. You know, a pre- premium. It's not it's not a gotcha game. It's yeah, not, I'm surprised you know. about that. You know, most of these publishers, you know, once they stick with gotcha, they never go back because of all the yeah. profits we see, right? So, so I'm really interested to see why this is premium, and I wonder, like, you know, it like it just looks interesting. You know, it's a really interesting prospect. The the game seems fun, you know. Yeah, I'm interested in it now. Um, what was that game that that was from last week's news? The Sword of Consonants or something? Did you cover uh, that? So, Sword of Convalaria. Oh, did we cover that for yeah. the last podcast news? I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was gonna say, you know, when I when I saw that game, I was like, when I see that business model, I was like, hey, this is like the dream game I was thinking of. You know, it's like you can you can pay if you want to participate in the multiplayer but you can have all the single player content for free it's like it sounds ideal for me really well yeah. the, one of the premises of this x asterisk game i'm sure other games have done a similar thing but i think it's pretty interesting is that it takes place on a planet that whose like rotational orbit is locked with its sun or its star so basically it's got one hemisphere this is at least the way the press release describes it it's described as if one hemisphere is always like in light and one hemisphere is always, you know, in the shadow, which means like that's how every civilization on this planet has like evolved to grow to understand, which I don't know. I think that on its face, it's a pretty interesting premise. And the um, the intro trailers do seem to showcase kind of two clear protagonists, one dressed in mostly light, one dressed in a more dark. So it seems like, I don't know, it could be interesting on its face, but we don't know how it's all executed, of course. Yeah, I, I hope it, I hope it's good. You know, uh, one I'm of these store pages good. does say in-app purchases. Wait, really? Uh, yeah. Oh no. <laughs> what what do they mean by this? You can't. I just... don't know if that's like boilerplate. Okay. Um, okay. Which one was it? Was it Google or iOS? <laughs> that that's a. Uh... The Google page says in-app purchases. In okay. addition to the ten dollar. Interesting. So... I don't know what that means. <laughs> It's kind of a weird thing to mention because the but the the way the way you're describing this to to sell it is a premium real time turn based hybrid RPG. It's and like, they're and they're like they're highlighting that themselves. They're saying this is Hypergriff's first premium title. Yeah. Like, like yeah, but but premium. They're not using it as like a beacon. I I guess they're trying to use it as both. They're both trying to say it as like a standard of quality. Like this is a premium title, but also with the connotation of the payment structure being like, yeah, you pay for this game. It's a premium title. They, they, so, here, but, I'm going to post it in our chat here. This is what, uh, 
they call it uh, X Asterisk is a buy-to-play game set to launch on February 27th for the price tag of $9.99. So they don't mention the in-app purchases. I just noticed that it does say that on the Google Store page. And hey, maybe that's just a boilerplate thing. Yeah, yeah maybe. But who knows? But hopefully there's a cool I would like to start checking. You you get two days to play this, and then um, Final Fantasy Rebirth comes out. Yeah, I know. Here's another interesting set of announcements from uh, the publisher Clouded Leopard talking about uh, Asian publishings of recent and upcoming Falcom titles. So this was a trio of announcements. Um, I have them all detailed pretty well here, but Adam, do you want to take over and just... Yeah, so if you're not familiar, I have to imagine most Falcom fans are aware of Clouded Leopard Entertainment by now. But if you're not, they are a basically a Chinese-based publisher. They actually do have Japanese offices, but they basically publish games in the Asian market. Um, lots of games from various places, but also they have Falcom games under their publishing wing for the Asian market. And so yesterday night... They announced three different, basically, publishing efforts for re- relating to Falcom games. One, uh, East 10 Nordics, which they did publish and release simultaneously for PlayStation back when it launched last year. Um, that is coming to Steam uh, under Clouded Leopard Entertainment uh, on, on March 14th next year. Now, Clouded Leopard has released a bunch of Falcom games on Steam Um so, and anyone can buy them, but they don't support English. So, if you want to play East 10 Nordics on Steam in a couple of months, you can. It'll just be with uh, Japanese voices and not even Chinese text, or not even Japanese text. It has Korean and Chinese text. So, uh, I know sometimes fan translators will like messing with those releases, but in any case, we're still waiting on an actual English announcement, English anything, for East 10 Nordics. It's um, funny the how the fact that PC this has. Version. Go ahead, James. It's funny how since this doesn't have uh, Japanese uh, text, it pretty much soft confirms that uh, NIS America already has the license to do the same thing they've done for Nayuda and Kuro. <laughs> yeah, and if you're if you're not familiar with that, the the NIS America version of Kuro no Kiseki is already on Steam under Trails from Daybreak or to Daybreak into Daybreak, whatever it is. Um, and when they'll, they're just going to update that with the English, you know, localization this summer. So they, they've been, do, they did that a couple of times now with that and with Neuda. Um, okay. So the second announcement from Clouded Leopard is that they are releasing a PC version of, uh, actually, let me make sure I get the right title here because it's, <laughs> I have to get this, uh, version of the title. They are releasing a PC version of, uh, East Folia's Ocean in Salsetta Kai on Steam. Now that is kind of the uh, more like literal tra- title for what is what XE titled East Memories of Salsetta, uh, which is the Vita game. It's like the Vita remake of Four. Um, the thing is, is like that Vita version ported to PC. XE did that several years ago now, back in 2018. So you can already go and buy that and play that in English, um, but. This is for the Asian market, so now that market will be able to play this game on PC. Now, I had I had I had to remind myself of this. So uh, the the literal translation is like Foliage Ocean in Celsetta that yeah. was localized as Memories of Celsetta. It released on Vita first, and then was brought to PC. Then, then Foliage Ocean in Celsetta Kai 
Well, yeah, oh, yeah, the Kai, as far as I can tell, was explicitly the PlayStation 4 version, which doesn't add as much as previous Kai versions did. It was like a texture up-res and some UI shift is from what I could I did some from what I could find. Um because then when the PS4 version was localized, they they just called it memories of cell set again. They didn't like call it remastered or anything or use the Kai or so they, they just didn't even change it. So I think Kai the is only, only I think the only I think the only tangible thing that was updated in like the Western release. Salsetta only had English voices on Vita, and then when it was ported to PC, it only had English voices, but eventually they ported in Japanese voices. Gotcha. And I think that was, like, first included in the PSV, PS4 version, and then they, like, ported it back to the PC version. Um, something like that. So anyways, that's the second announcement. The third announcement, I actually thought was already happened. I just forgot that it didn't happen already. They basically announced, hey, we're going to be releasing the Asian version of Kaino Kaseki next or this year um in you know asian markets which isn't too surprising because they've done that for several games now um i had to remind myself so like last year east nordics uh that was like a simultaneous release it came out in japan and asia on the same day uh september 28th or whatever it was um the year before 2022 kuro no kaseki 2 um it released in japan late september as they always do and then the Asian version was just a little bit late. It was like October 2022. So my point is, is that we know Kaino Kiseki, the newest game, is coming out this year in Japan, very, very likely in September. Uh, that's this fiscal year for, for Falcom. But Clouded Leopard is also releasing that game this year. It might be simultaneous. It might be just close afterwards. But there's still no information on uh, platforms or release date. Uh, there is a new screenshot. And it has that. It has the. I think that's the one boy from Reverie. What's his name? I don't know. The, did you see uh, that screenshot, Brian? Swin. So yeah, Swin. And then some guy with. I think it's a guy with blonde hair and a suit. I don't know who that is. Someone spoil me. Could be multiple. It could be multiple <laughs> people. I think. But I. Anyways, there's like a new screenshot. Me, if you care. Let me let me check that screenshot. I mean, it's, it's just, yeah. It's, it's just like good. one screenshot. I'm, it I'm could be. It could here. be. It could be multiple people. But I. It, like, I mean, if, if it's Swin and it's like a blonde guy in a suit, it's like, well, there's there's an obvious like possibility who that is. But that would be a spoiler if you haven't played Reverie. So, OK, there you go. Thank Adam for uh, detailing out the different announcements from Clouded Leopard regarding Falcom. And yeah, we're still waiting for um, obviously we already got the English announcement for Trails into Daybreak coming out this summer, but nothing on East 10. So stay tuned for that. Going into some smaller trailers for some upcoming games. Uh, we talked last week about at the Xbox Developer Direct, the quick look in that Obsidian's game Avowed got. Um, we basically have a follow up where a lot of the same section was expanded on. And actually, like the thumbnail for this is called the Deeper Dive with the Avowed Devs. So, what this is, is like it's an internal. I had to, I had to kind of look up like what this was. Uh, it's two developers, um, Terry Patel and Gabe. I'm, I'm blanking on his last name uh, from Obsidian. Here, let me actually get this right. Let me pull up the. Uh, so what it was, it was it's chat. literally the official Xbox podcast, a special video episode of it. There, I got the names now. So yeah, it's Carrie and Gabe from Obsidian, and then Jeff Rubenstein and Tina Amini, who are basically um, Xbox uh, Xbox social team marketing. Basically. Yeah, so, yeah, social team. There you go. So it's like an internal interview at this point, right? Uh, which I don't know how I feel about that. And obviously, one thing we haven't touched on, I don't know if we will, 
seems like is this the most appropriate place to bring it up is uh this week has also been continued to be a basically a bloodbath in terms of industry layoffs the big ones being microsoft and riot microsoft laying off 1900 people riots laying off what was it a few hundred people yeah let's go ahead and take this tangent so like riot forge which was to us yeah. probably the most relevant part of riot because riot forge which was the publishing arm that basically took the league of legends universe and basically allowed other developers to like develop games in that universe and a lot of them were rpgs that that no longer exists so you and you played and reviewed ruined king uh a couple years ago that was from airship syndicate uh scott played the mage seeker that was just last year which was from uh oh i forget the studio name like digital sun it was uh, something like that, yeah. pixel art action RPG. They have an upcoming game, Bandal Tale from uh, Black Forest, Black Bear, something the studio. Sorry, I don't know, the, don't remember the studio game. But my point is, is that like all these sort of side games that kind of do fall in our wheelhouse and sort of expand that League of Legends IP universe, it's gone now. And Bandal Tale's not even. I out mean, yeah, it's kind of all but confirmed it's gone. Maybe Riot No, I think itself, it is gone. I'm pretty sure they confirmed Riot Forge well, does not well, exist. I know. Yeah, well, I mean, like, Riot Forge is gone. Yeah, Riot Forge is gone. Does that mean that the opportunity for other developers working on their games is also completely gone? I don't know. I mean, I'm, 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 it could be. I'm, maybe I'm just trying to, like, pull just a straws here. Maybe Riot. Yeah, maybe, maybe Riot themselves will do it, not under an independent publishing label. But we you don't know. And the fact is, is that they've lost... 300 developers or whatever. Well, let me get an actual total here. I know it was 1900 for Xbox. The total this... for Riot layoffs was 530. I underestimated yeah. about 11% of their workforce. But yeah. And then the uh, obviously a lot of the roles for the Xbox uh, downsizing was kind of in the aftermath of the big Activision Blizzard um, merging. The, yeah, you know, this was this Microsoft was largely project. expected, and I don't mean that in a good way. Like, oh, this is predictable. It's just like this is what happens when big companies, when giant merge. companies merge. There's going to be redundancy, and there's going to be cuts. And yeah, so, we like, talked about this when they, when they announced the merger. Like, right. when they were trying to do this, it's going to be. We can only hope it's minimal, like a minimal, but we know there's going to be a lot. And you know, that's it. only the first wave of it too. It's not. There's not something that's like a cut and done thing. There's going to be a continue. Fortunately. And it seems like, in addition to just the merger part of it, it seems like kind of broadly a lot of companies, like, uh, staffed up, possibly overstaffed in the last couple of years, like during the pandemic boom and whatnot. Like, I think Riot said they had almost, they had practically like doubled their headcount in the last several couple of years. And then, I don't know, they just, that was probably a little bit reckless, where it's like, oh, this wasn't sustainable. (laughs) <laughs> There's a common practice that happened during the pandemic years, right? right? Like because uh, like because so so many people are staying indoors because they couldn't go out. So obviously that sector uh, of indoor activities, especially gaming, went up. So obviously to take advantage of that, a lot of people in the industry, studios in the industry, like ramped up to meet that demand. And what they you know a lot of they didn't think it was gonna like return to normal as it will, like as fast as it did, right? Mm-hmm. So. That's kind of what this kind of the market it responding back to like okay the, the things are coming back to like what they were pre pandemic, um, and they we gotta get back to like the quote unquote normal head. 
and I don't I, I don't want to get too much into like gossip yeah. either. But there right. were some of the right. developers that were laid off from like Activision or Microsoft or whatnot, where they're like, this wasn't a remote role. They were they like got a job, moved mm-hmm. to California, yeah, to to work, and then were laid off. Like, it's very scummy. It's, right. it's not that does not feel good. So like you 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 give up a lot to relocate for your job. Like it can't be stated enough. It is not. I mean, I've moved uh, cross country four uh, times in six years. I'm aware. And then yeah, and think about it, yeah, think about it like this. Like for us, like we were forever single, so like it wasn't like the craziest thing to do for a lot of these people. Entire families, families, yeah, yeah. So and that's you know, it was tough for us doing it single. Do it for like a whole family. Jesus fucking Christ, dude. Yeah, it's like. People just aren't talking enough about how like fucked up the uh, whole RTO thing was. Like it, finding out that like it was effective starting the first of this month. So theoretically, you could have waited until like the last moment to move like close enough to work at like say Blizzard, and then got fired this week. It's like, what the hell? <laughs> no, definitely. Like as an ongoing thing, there's just not enough protections for this type of thing to happen, which sucks. And I, I do take back what I, I was hedging earlier, but you know, I found the statement from Riot and basically say like, yeah, everything we do now is going to be internally developed. Like that was that was the obvious outcome. I was thinking maybe there was a slipper, but no, just no more external partnerships. And then, yeah, and I've seen a lot of people like, and this is often like, this is an emotionally charged topic for a lot of people because, you know, we have friends that work in media or moved over to games or have friends that work in gaming and are might even be this, this is affecting so many people that might, might literally affect someone that you personally know. Um, But like the studios that you, first of all, I mean, the risk is there for any studio, unfortunately, but the studios that don't tend to exhibit this are studios like from software or Nintendo. And then the, when you hear these stories about like the number of producers that worked on the original Super Mario Bros that worked on Mario Wonder or the amount of games under their belt of people who worked on Armored Core 6 who have been in the series forever. And it just makes you wonder like how much of that vested knowledge, experience and expertise you're losing because you want to make sure that you're in the black verse or in year. And I don't want to speak too, too much like an authority because I don't know the financial underpinning of how to run a game company. But when you see that, that's the, when you, when you hear stories about um, quest designers at Bioware being let go that have been there since Baldur's gate and they're that, that experience is just gone now, like that they, they don't have that. How can you have faith in the next um, elder scrolls title or the next Diablo or the next, um dragon age sort of thing and it, it's just it's just a hard pill to swallow and it may yeah. just make you more appreciative when ceos at companies like nintendo say like where we will take a massive pay cut in order to keep the talent i mean part of that is, yeah that is correct what like what, what happened but it's a little bit mis- misconstruing how people contextualize that because that's a common practice in japan um and also like the following year after that nintendo let go of 320 employees so Okay. Yeah. You know? So it's like one yeah, of those that, things. Like, <laughs> it's easy to say that on its face and like, yes, but also, you know, that's not the whole story either. Well, unfortunately, these layoffs are just hard to keep track of. Yeah. And I, I saw yeah. one people say like, well, we thought, you know, bringing in these publishers under Microsoft to make them, uh, you know, steadier. And they're like, oh, right, did you know, did you know that Microsoft laid off 10,000 employees last year? Uh, sort of like, thing. And, and it's like, one of those things that like, 
no matter what you do to try and uh, you know characterize a company to make them more quote unquote friendly or better than another company, at the end of the day, you know their their main goal is profit, right? No company is your friend. That like I I I just to me I don't like the the, the narrative like one company is better than the other company because they did this for their employees. It's like, hmm. Let's take a step back here and think about like the whole, like you know, the whole big picture here. You know, so to, to me, to me, like the surfer, the safer option is like there's no company you can trust, <laughs> and, and, and like when it comes to like business decisions in that regard, you know. And I feel kind of bad for jumping that in when talking about Obsidian at Microsoft, but that just felt like. First time talking about yeah. Microsoft. It was podcast. kind of the elephant in the room, so we kind of had to address kind it. Of, yeah. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but so, you know, but like, best of luck and you know, best wishes uh, and prayers from us for the people who got affected. To maybe listening or you may know someone who got affected, and hopefully you know they get back on their feet and recover from this because it it will always fucking suck. To, mm-hmm. Like this, and it. I I wish there were better protections. I work at a uh, tech uh, semiconductor com- company, and they last year they let go of fifteen percent of people. Yeah, I survived. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, it's just it feel all, good all, when you feel does. like someone's hanging around your neck, but you could be gone. Yeah, yeah. So you know, hopefully, hopefully someday things will get better. <laughs> That's all I can really give. <laughs> and, the, the, and, there's, and there's no clean way to, to yeah. tangent or segue from that to like, anyways, video games. Yeah. Unfortunately, we do kind of have to do that. And we do kind of want to keep the levity and not just be all doomer, even though it sucks. But at least want to call attention to that and say, like, uh, the least we can do is try to cover indie titles, passion projects, mature titles, even passion projects of a large scale, and just kind of give them as, as fair a shake and as, as clean a run as possible. And maybe avowed for the studio people that are at Obsidian now working under Microsoft is a game for that. That's my terrible attempt at a segue, but it's what we got to go with. Um, the, 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 the look in here was a deeper look at what they showed at the Xbox developer direct um, with, with the, the developer direct was basically a vertical slice of the snippet that was gone into more detail here. So what they went into detail here was uh, a little bit of a vertical slice of what they called the third explorable uh, region of the game called Shatterscarp. And they kind of touch on two things here. A lot of just like, there's a lot of just straight up combat gameplay. And I'm guessing, again, this is a first person uh, RPG. So the combat is kind of that, you know, some people would say always janky first person melee. Um, but there's, of course, like spell casting and bow and arrow. And the, these are sorts of things that, with the, the first person fantasy RPG aesthetic. They talk a little bit about uh, the sorts of creatures that you'll encounter, the enemies, the, the first two companions in the game. Uh, one's a human healer named Yada, and the other one is an Almana. Um, I'm not sure what sort of class he is, but it's the uh, the aquatic. They call him a tank in the Pillars game. So some sort of tank. Uh, tank. All right. Well, so I think it's probably yeah, worth they, mentioning that I th- they don't say this outright, but it doesn't seem like the game is class based. It's skill based. And, so, yeah, so you like you pick traits. It's they don't they ask like, is there a skill tree? They say yes, but I, when I look through the footage, they don't show any of the skill UI, no, they don't. like any sort of like, which I'm sure there's nothing super exciting there. But they don't show anything. Uh, but it seems like it's more you tailor the traits and talents to whatever sort of build you want to do. Not explicitly, I am sorcerer class. But they say that the the one healer, the one character companion is intended to be a healer, and the other one's intended to be a tank. And they talk about the taunt and aggro mechanics and things like that. Um, and the the race of creature Amawa is like a humanoid 
amphibian. They they uh, are aquatic creature of some sort. They have kind of like amphibian type skin and physical traits. Um, they're they're pres. I had to remind myself if they were present in the first game. They're all over the second game because it takes place, you know, on an island nation. Uh, but they're also in the first game as well. So they've been part of the mythos for. Um, and by that now. you mean pillars. But, yeah, the pillars mythos. But the thing is, the thing that surprises me is. I remember, maybe I'm misremembering, but when this game was first announced, it felt like they were being very careful to try to invoke pillars not as much. They said, yeah, it takes place in Aora, the same world as pillars. Like that's the way they framed it. But now they're kind of, I feel like they're a little bit less guarded about it. They're saying, oh, yeah, you know, this is an enemy type, the Zara, you, found, you saw these in pillars and now they're here. So the, I, I don't know if maybe that's just a me thing, but it felt like they were careful about it before, maybe because they didn't want people to feel like, there was that well, investment. Oh, like, you oh, you I have gotta, to play the I first gotta, two games to play the third game in the series. I, 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 I got to play these dry, yeah. didn't sell very well isometric games in order to play this, you know, bigger-ish, you know, first-person game. But it seems like they're a little bit less afraid of it now. And it, whether whether that's whether that's me just perceiving a thing or is, or there's a nugget of truth to it. Either way, they are invoking pillars when they talk about the enemy designs and the skills and even like the abilities that they've decided to pull out of the game uh, into Avowed. Uh, obviously, one thing that this look-in does give uh, is a pretty extensive look at uh, just the visual style of the game. The the region they're showing is the desert region. Um, so it's they've actually said like uh, the desert region is a little bit more, you know, they don't use the word bland, but a little bit more monotone uh, when they're describing the uh, other environments of the game. The game still does kind of have that cartoony art style that I know kind of turned some people off when it was first reshown last summer. Uh, the the demo though at least looks like it runs really smoothly and pretty clean. The one comparison that they kind of made was to Grounded, which is like their Honey I Shrunk This Kids like survival game, which also is a first person perspective game. So it's just kind of interesting to see like what lessons they might have learned from a completely different game and kind of implied them uh, uh, provided here. Um, not that they have you know they've created like plenty of other first person games, but this is just the first one since Grounded uh, underneath and the first one underneath the Microsoft banner completely, but. Kind of, kind of the same sort of takeaway as the first look, just an extended look at it, and uh, still pretty excited for it. Though it's still not quite clear exactly what the scope of the game is in terms of like size of the world. But they mentioned there's plenty of optional objective side quests. The region that they're in, they said you, you, the player would not necessarily have to run into. It's not a, it's not like a a critical path location or something like that. So hopefully, still plenty of a uh, secrets and hidden objectives and a large enough map to keep things interesting, even if it's not as sprawling as like a Bethesda title. Uh, two kind of story trailers, or I guess one story trailer or one gameplay trailer for upcoming February releases. The first one is the uh, the next game from Dot Nod. This is Banisher's Ghosts of New Eden. Uh, this is the game that Adam was looking forward to and the reason why he played Vampire uh, a few months ago. And when I first saw this headline, before I watched the trailer, I was like, man, they've been releasing a lot of trailers for this game. And yep, uh, Dot Nod and Focus Entertainment have released is it something Dot like... Nod or Don't Nod? I... The thing is, it's like when it was all one word, like I just sort of like dot nod, I guess. But then they like Uh, they literally changed how they pronounce or they how they format the word, and it looks literally the English words don't nod. Like okay, yeah. So that's that's me going to bad habit. Yeah, the original logo was just it looked like one word with no apostrophe dot nod. But now it's now it's formal. It should probably be noted. We should look this up. We should we should get this right. I don't know. It's don't nod at the French accent. (laughs) There you go. But anyways, when this trailer was released, um, I was like, man, they've released a lot of trailers for this game. And it's like, yep, they've released like seven trailers for Banisher's Ghost of New Eden since like last summer. I'm like, that seems excessive. 
But the thing is, is I watched this story trailer and it's actually pretty damn cinematic. It's got some nice backing music and uh, independent of the quality of the trailer. One thing that kind of surprises me is I was on Focus Entertainment's YouTube channel and these trailers are getting millions of views. I'm actually kind of like I was I don't know what I was expecting. but I'm like, damn, you know, there is a, a market of people that are really interested in like these narrative driven kind of RPGs from the guys. So kind of, yeah. Yeah. It's it's releasing in that February time frame, which we've already talked about to death about how crowded that is. But uh I don't know. The the story trailer actually kind of talks about a very pretty interesting premise between the two protagonists and the choices they have to make depending on uh kind of the interaction you want to have between the protagonists. It's a little bit obscure about exactly what the criteria are in terms of like what the story is doing and how much how much of it is baked into the story and how much of it is actual like rpg choice and consequence but i think it's a pretty good trailer for a game that i only kind of had passing interest in so uh give it a watch it's yeah i saw the trailer too it is it's probably their best trailer actually (laughs) to be honest yeah it's 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 it's, it's, yeah we earlier looks at the game we kind of said like "Eh, it doesn't look quite polished but in this game i didn't really have that butt feeling like you know what that looks like a pretty interesting game you know just straight up the other trailer we got is for, uh, at least for our audience, um, a little bit more of a better known you know, studio and property. That, of course, is Persona 3 Reload coming out in really not too long in the time of this podcast, basically a week away. Uh, and this is the Persona 3 Reload battle strategy trailer. Um, when I watch this trailer, it, it does talk about the, uh, and Adam has grilled me on this before, the difference between press turn and once more. This is the, I hope I get this right, once more system. Yeah, Talk about exploiting enemy. Yeah, so talented. Uh, getting up, you know, talking about exploiting enemy weaknesses, all out attacks, the different characters, the personas. Uh, the first half of the trailer is a little bit of a strategy trailer. The second half of the trailer just seems more like a like a showcase, which isn't bad. It just a little bit less on like here's what you're seeing and doing. It's just like here's some special abilities. Here's some uh, obviously it's a look at the the art style and the animations and the you know the glow up of the game from the PS2 original and the characters that are involved in them summoning the personas. So I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a fun trailer focused primarily on, on battle, um, showing the different characters in arts and persona. Ooh, I accidentally closed my podcast doc. One sec. Don't worry. You're in the gotcha channel. There you go. All right. Next up, we've got, um, a trio of games that are all available now. One of those is Atelier Resleriana. So yeah, we kind of kind of touched on that originally because it's available now. That's why Josh was able to play it and kind of give a, an initial impressions of that game. But it's available uh, globally uh, on both iOS and Google Play. We talked about Enshrouded entering um, uh, Steam Early Access, but we also have Unforetold Witchstone. So we talked about the announcement of this going into Early Access at all uh, earlier this year. Um, I, I and Adam, I think maybe as well played it. I think at E3 2019, back when it was Project Witchstone. It went dark for a while and then kind of came back. And now it's going to be on early access for uh, an indeterminate amount of time. Uh, the early access got a launch trailer. Um, I don't know exactly what the uh, if there's been a lot of feedback to the um, early access period so far, but just letting you know that it is now available. And obviously, we'll follow up once they uh, move past that phase and see when we learn about version 1.0 or whatever's in the future for that game. And the last game that is available now, uh, this one's a bit interesting. So Adam, you might need to team me up on this here. This is Lunar Silver Star Story Touch is now available for Google Play. Was this pre-announced or was this kind of like a weird shadow drop? Okay, so here's what this is. So about 10, 12 years ago, 10, 11, 12 years ago, 
Uh, a company called Samoga released Lunar Silver Star Story Touch for iOS. Um, what that is, um, so the Lunar games, I have not played them. I think Chow is very familiar with these. I am um, actually do familiar with them. I beat all the games except yeah. the DS one. So I was like, <laughs> well, the DS yeah. one I know is I. Everyone says that one is trash, but um, yes, like literal trash. Like throw it away. But uh, so this is the touch version. It is based off like the PS one version of the game, which I think is more or less the same as the Saturn version. Um, but it is it uses the translation and the voice acting from the PSP version. So I saw people wondering, like, wait, is this the original, the PS1 remake, or the PSP remake? And the answer is, okay, it's like a mix between the PS1 version and the PSP version. It kind of matches, matches them together. Um, but yeah, it was released on iOS a decade ago. And as far as I can tell, it's the only game this company, Samoga, has ever released. And if you go to their website, their website is like as bare bones as you could possibly get. Um, it's very quaint, very simple. Uh, it almost wondered like, is this is a real website, but um, <laughs> Seems uh, the Geo Cities again. Apparently, apparently they're based in Florida. I would not be surprised if this is just like one or two or three people who just got the license to this game and sort of work on it in their spare time. I don't know. Um, that's a, that's an assumption by me. But anyways, they've been actually updating the iOS version pretty regularly over the last decade. Like, it, it's not like they just set it and forget it. They've been actually updating it uh, uh, over the course of time, as lately as 2023. And then, about a week ago, we got this sort of random email from Samoga, who I, I forgot what that was, uh, saying, well, this is coming to Google Play. And I'm like, wait, this is that ancient iOS port? It's now coming to Google Play? Uh, and then I didn't know if this was real or not. And then sure enough, it's on Google Play now. So 10 years later, 11 years later, whatever, it's they took that iOS version and now you can play it on Android. Um, they do say that uh, that uh, they are have other projects or uh, other titles that they plan on porting soon, and it's just like I have no idea what those would be because they don't have any other titles. This is like literally their only one. Uh, but anyways, yeah, it's a version of Lunar. It's it is undoubtedly actually the most accessible version. You can buy it on your mobile device. Version. Yeah, I, what's sort of funny is I saw some people on our Twitter account complaining, like, why not the PSP version? They should have done that. But I also gather that a lot of people are, like, at least maybe the more diehard fans don't really like the PSP version. Oh, uh, I, I don't either. Because yeah. the PSP version made the game really easy. Like, it, the game's not hard to begin with. But the PSP version's like, oh, there's, like, no difficulty whatsoever. Because all the characters have super attacks that they added in the... Was it? I think it was the Game Boy one, and then they also like kind of like reused that system in the what was it in the PSP version. So it got way too stupidly easy. I also and, heard that the uh, maybe some of the voice acting stuff wasn't great. The English. Yeah, the thing but... is, the working design voice act, voice acting isn't. They're actually pretty good. The uh, the work. I think the, ex- the thing is, they're not professional actors too, so I don't think you can get them like in there because like one of the main uh, character Luna. Uh, she's voiced by like the voice director's wife, who never voice acted before. Basically, well, so that's, that's that's the thing. You. I think, um, so the original game in English was Working Designs. It was Exceed who did the uh, the PSP version. Uh, I haven't heard great things about the voice acting there either, but uh, I gather the translation is probably better that Exceed did because it's not 
as kind of goofy and off the wall as working designs can be sometimes. Um, so I, that's I know people hate the working design translation, but I actually do find it has a lot of charm. There's lots of characters that would talk a lot of things. Instead of like the Japanese version, they just talk very mundane things that doesn't seem all that interesting. And uh, like the shopkeepers even have like good dialogue in the, in the working design version. I know a lot of people love shitting on them. I think the worst thing that working design did to these games is how they adjusted the difficulty because they think the games were too yes. easy, so they overtune certain yeah. things, yeah. and then it they kind of ruins experience. They went wild with Lunar on that one. So what I'm 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 reading up like impressions of people who actually played this. Apparently, so like the the script for this game is mostly the PlayStation One uh, text, and then but the audio seems to be from the PSV version. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. So. Yeah, <laughs> no, I don't think they could get the working design voices. Like, I don't think. I think Victor Ireland would do anything to prevent people from getting his work. It's like the Harmony Gold problem with Macross back in the day. You can change the music between thirty-two or sixty-four bit, um, and you can change the text presentation to between retro and classic. And then they actually have two difficulty settings. The default one is the harder version, like the PS One working designs. Uh, version the other one is like i guess the or, or easier which is like the original released japan it seems to be pretty it does have the, 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 the sprites do have a little bit of a smoothing on them and it's just kind of yeah. like why <laughs> yeah. why did that they, they didn't do the the state second story art treatment no so yeah, it's also kind of an interesting uh, release kind of unexpected out of nowhere why they not? also uh, they also have like the FF Pixel remastered things where you can like modify like their EX experience and money modifiers. Well, the thing is, I I think you shouldn't care about leveling up in this game because the bosses scale to the main character's level. Either you keep him dead, and that <laughs> scale to him. Uh, so, uh, yeah, they they mentioned this. Like uh, uh, bosses can scale with le- uh, level with this room, but you, there's an option to turn that off. Such. Yeah. I mean, it's it just it's pretty much like it's lunar, and it gives you like a shitload of options how you want to play it. Damn, that sounds a very versatile port. Then, I think I think Gung Ho still has. Well, that's the rights get weird. I think Gung Ho is basically the they own all the game art stuff, but the localization stuff, yeah, working designs. I doubt Exceed has any claim on it anymore, but it's just a weird property in terms of who owns it right now. Like I think the main issue is uh, Studio Alex, the original developer oh, the that worked on it. Oh, the... I was wondering if that was like the anime studio that did the animations. No, I don't know. No, it's called like Studio Alex because they named it after the main character. And then I think they were later on they developed Grandia, and then I think there was some kind of pay dispute over the years with with them and their like parent company. It just kind of kind of caused them to split or something. It just became like this whole issue with them. I think that, that's even more messy than the working design thing, apparently, with this company, I think. Mm-hmm. But what, yeah. are, what do you think? Like, I, I, I try to like think of like what other projects Samoga would be working on. Like, and I, I guess it's like, what niche PS1 RPGs, I guess, do you want to see, like, re-releases of Arc Pop the Lad? Hell. Okay, Arc the Lad is actually, like, one of my favorites. Okay, the first game is trash, even though I say it's my favorite. But the second <laughs> game is god tier. This is like the like a twelve out of ten game, man. Arc the Lad two is like the perfect sequel. Is it Arc the Lad one like ten hours long, and Arc the Lad two like fifty hours long? Yeah, uh, yeah. Just... I, beat, I beat 
arc lab one in five hours. It's okay. not even ten hours. That's how short. Oh, it like is. I, I've been, I'm looking it's at just, like just other working designs. I'm looking at, I'm looking at like working other working designs. Oh, that's why like, I said pop full mail. I don't know. Uh huh. Vanguard. <laughs> I know that's got several versions too. Yeah, like I'll do anything to get a good Arc the Lad 2 remaster of some sort. I, I fucking love Arc the Lad 2. Don't watch the anime though. There's an anime adaptation. This is completely botched it, okay? You can't wait till Chad to review something on the site and give it 12 out of 10. Alundra. Mm. Yeah, yeah, Alundra is very good. So, no, okay, that, that, that's, that's my. If, if I want them to like. If, uh, for these other projects, I want Alundra to be. You should tell them to remaster PS4. I mean, NES classics. Tell them to bring Lufia 2 to the modern age. Not the stupid DS version. Dude, I totally forgot working designs uh, brought over uh, Ray or Sega Saturn. Yep. Damn. Imagine if they uploaded their other projects as Ray Earth. That'd be crazy. <laughs> Holy. Damn. They probably had to talk to Clamp to get that right. Yeah. <laughs> They're like clamp. Please let us re-release this fucking how how many years old game? This is ninety five. Oh my god, we're talking about how about the thirty year, thirty year. I don't know how that works. Thirty year? Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, the thirty year anniversary. Damn, this makes us feel old. Uh... The other remaining four headlines we have are for upcoming releases. The first one on February 6th, that is the release date for Honkai Star Rail version 2. I'm sure Chow is hyped for this, maybe? Based on uh, the I'm, I'm hyped. I actually do not like the second planet uh, story arc, how it turned out. It was has, it's, it's plagued with, with pacing issues and not enough build-up. They, didn't they say they're going to do some rewrites for it? Or I, I don't know. But I feel that the second planet is complete trash, and I thought, you know, like the first planet is hype in my in my opinion, the Bell Bellamore or however you say it. Uh, but the second planet, oh my god, it's like you have this villain that's introduced with only like half a minute, like half an hour build up, and she she just kills like one like the characters in the game, and then they're like, okay, and you fight her, and she's like this god tier super boss, and then it's like, oh, and then it's over, and. It's like, where's the story? And then you're left with this, like, cliffhanger sequel bait, and like, nothing. And then and then a bunch of filler stories. I feel like this story was handled very poorly, in my opinion. So I, I hope that, you know, in this new 2.0 trailer, you're, we're finally introduced to the next planet. But, you know, there's still some, a lot of plot threads that were left hanging from the second planet. So I, I don't know. I feel like they should have finished that stuff before we moved on, but you know, or don't, don't put some sequel bait, you know, at least that's what I take. So I, I am looking forward to this planet. I hope they do a lot better job than, than, than what they did with the second planet. At least that's why. I, so I might, I might murder pronunciation here, but it looks like the, the planet is Panakini. Panakini. I, I don't know so. how you pronounce this. And uh, there you the whole like trailer for this makes it look like a big casino. They call it a hotel called the Reverie, and they basically make it seem like a getaway, like an interstellar giant resort of some sort. And that's where the player is headed. You so, gamble the gambling game. You gamble in the gambling game, just like Pokemon. Apparently, I mean there was a casino in in the original Pokemon, wasn't there? It was just cut out from the American version because of the kids game. 
they just called it the game corner and I think they obscured the language, but it, it was still there. But yeah, like uh for this trailer, uh you also get the role for Black Swan. Uh, she's Nihility. I don't like using Nihility characters because I didn't I just fucking hate dots. Ever since my days from Aeon, seeing <laughs> shitty mages using fucking dots when you can just one shot them being a sorcerer, it's like fuck them. Fuck dot users. So I don't roll on dots. Even though they have like the hypest character coming out in the patch right after a carry-on or Yomi, if you're playing Japanese, is a Nihility user. It's like, and you need three Nihility users to take full advantage of her kit, and you're like, nope. It's no a shame you. we can't yeah, we can have swears uh, in, in the podcast title, or else I, I'd nominate uh, fuck dots users. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, I hate I hate dots in video games. Such a damage overtime is such a lame mechanic. So that's for me. Uh, I, I am rolling on Sparkle. I'm putting my rolls on Sparkle. She's voiced by uh, Rina Ueda in Japanese. Okay, so. which, are, which, which of these? Okay, I'm looking at the key visual. Which of these are is the is the character the Nihility character in your title? Is that the one you're wearing purple? Yes, Black Swan's the one wearing. Purple. Okay, and then the and then the one you're talking about now, the Rina Ueda character, is the one in red. Yes. Okay. She's a buffer, so it should be useful in any team. Versus the other one, that's like a very niche kit. I, I know, like, people love using that, but, man, I don't like using the Hildy in any game ever. Or dot users. So, that's that's for me. I, I'm sure I'm going to get cru- crucified for saying that statement, but you know what? I already cleared all the hardest content in this game. I don't need them. Yep, and that is coming out on February 6th. Also coming out in February, we're getting a Nintendo eShop port of Bancho Tactics. This is the like Japanese brawler sim RPG that released uh, last year on Steam in August. Josh, remind me, I think you played a demo of this game at one of the next fests. Yeah. Prior to it, prior to it launching in August. It was a pretty bare bones demo. So like, I didn't have like a strong impression of it at the time. It's like, it's like a a neat premise, but I I didn't get around to the full release of the game. Uh, Apparently it it has a pretty, very positive um, Steam user rating, but I'm not exactly sure. Um, where the community lies on whether they liked it or not, but I mean, good for them if they if it saw success, you know. Yeah, uh, they saw enough success to bring it over to eShop, so that'll be neat. Going the other direction, going from console to PC, we got a release date for the PC version of Horizon Forbidden West. Horizon Forbidden West Complete Edition will launch on March twenty first for PC. They keep on doing it, man. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering who was going to speak up first. Yeah, I mean, like the the because it's launching a day before Dragon's Dogma Two and Rise of the Ronin. So it's just you know, Horizon picks interesting release dates historically uh, for their stuff. So I mean, it's cool that it's coming on PC, and obviously the PC ports of the Rising is are always robust. Um, hopefully. This well, the first not, one actually yeah. struggled a bit, but that was uh. This, yeah, I was gonna say, well, this is Nixon's software, which is probably Sony's best porting house. So yeah, hopefully it's at least halfway yeah, decent. This has a support the, tra- the trailer for this talks are... about yeah, like all the, all the things it has. You know, this is three FSR Intel's version of the same thing. Um, that uh, that, that that reminds me of like I was amused at um the the Steam version of um Res Resley Rihanna Atelier has like DLS port. Uh, it's uh, it's SR free. I don't know, dude. Also, I, I saw but, um, the options. I'm like, okay. <laughs> we know based off of the Insomniac leaks that as far as PC versions go, 
I bel- I hope I'm not misremembering this, but like the original Horizon was has been Sony's most successful seller, which I think it was also like one of their first, or if, it, if not the first. So, yeah, I think it was their first, and then God of War 2018 was afterwards, uh, and then I think it was Days Gone. Uh, yes, Sony's PC strategy is weird, and the more I think about it, the more I I really do think that them like, uh, especially if you look at the sales of the recent ports. It really feels like they're uh, arbitrary being like, okay, we're not going to port games PC until like at least two years later. Harm sales more than it helps. And I really don't know exactly how many people would like uh, actually like go out, buy a PS5 and a PS5 copy of the game instead of just waiting for the PC version, which when it finally comes, like there's less interest because the game's no longer new. Right. I just well, don't and, know. And that compounded with I could also play Dragon's Dogma or Rise of the Ronin <laughs> on the PlayStation. <laughs> yeah, it's like I, I had a bit of a discussion, like an argument about this the the other day on a separate like Discord server, but it's like PC and console audiences are so separate that it just like making it so that you have to market a game twice and inevitably you're gonna market the PC port less is just it seems so damn inefficient. For, like I, what gain? <laughs> I like the, the the immediate two reasons I think of is like one I think Sony has like this very how does they could see this strategy but they want to they want to like uh, give off like you know the impression like you know PlayStation gamers are first they want to treat them like a like an, a premium audience uh, you know try to kind of get like it's it's kind of like for for show you know mm, the, to make sure yeah. to show their commitment to the PlayStation platform first and foremost two uh, I think they also want maybe some people to double dip as well it's like hey you know uh if you have a cool if you have a good a good enough pc this will even look better on pc so even though you may have played this game before it'll look even better now so they might be also be uh, looking for double dippers as well so with the staggered release you're more you're you may see that some return customers coming back yeah some some percentages double dip mm. yeah so but that's about my immediate I feel a little bit of obligation to play this game just because I played the first and I did enjoy it. It wasn't, it didn't set the world on fire, but I did enjoy it. It's just that, you know, I'd rather play Dragon's Dogma 2 in March. So right. maybe April, but there's other games in April. So maybe May sort of thing. So, yeah. So what's, yeah, just coming back to like, uh, yeah, this is definitely a release. I, date, mm-hmm. Yeah. If uh, I do play it, I'll likely um, not be. Adam, you basically exhausted this game, right? You like did all the side yeah. objectives in the whole map. How long did that take you? Do you remember? Mm, 70 80 hours i, I, I guess I would, gonna, I, I would like wins but then like i just put 100 hours into, into like a dragon so maybe it's fine i i am really interested to see, like seeing like if they're actually gonna when they're gonna bring over ghost of tsushima over to pc i kind of surprised it hasn't yet yeah it feels like it's um, about time I, I am definitely one of those people that's like maybe i'll double dip on that because i i did like ghost of tsushima i'm definitely one of those customers like i might double dip because i already played this on playstation um, but obviously, you know, uh, we're expecting the God of War Ragnarok PC port and the Spider-Man 2 kind of get a PC release as well um, following this. And then the last announcement that we have this week is a shutdown announcement. Near reincarnation shuts down worldwide on April 30th. Yeah. Well, I, you're our biggest I mean, fan. What do you think? 
I mean, hey, that lasted longer than most mobile games. I uh, vaguely remember like some of the original characters that they introduced in this game, and now I'm wondering like, are they going to show up in near three? And I'm going to regret not following their stories to the end. <laughs> that is so okay. I, I, I'm going to have to describe this very poorly because my memory uh-huh. okay sucks. But there was a character. There were two characters that were introduced. One was like a mechanical desperado. I forget his name, okay. but he was like one of the characters that was introduced. Yeah, uh, he wore like a cowboy hat and used like revolvers. And then there was a girl that was basically like not to be like had longer hair. I forget her name, uh, but was like the other like primary protagonist that had a story alongside. There was also husband wife combo that lived in like a colony. I don't all these stories. Watch if you like. You better know this by heart if you want to understand the next project. <laughs> I'm like I don't. Don't you think you just watch like a Kingdom Hearts ten hour segment? I did, and it was useless. Here? It was it told me nothing. <laughs> I did, and it was useless. It'll it'll be useful for Kingdom Hearts Four, I promise. Because mm-hmm. I always forget what that girl's I, name it, is. It, it was it was enough to like be useful for you to understand the Kingdom Hearts Four reveal. Yeah, like yeah. what's what's that redhead girl's name? I know we've talked about this, but I always forget it. She's in the mobile game. Oh, Strelitza. Strelitza. Yeah. Like Everyone knows Strelitza. Yeah, yeah famous obviously. Kingdom Hearts character. So your reincarnation was like an interesting like structure because like the core like first arc of this game because this game has the multiple story arcs. Um, the first part of this game is like you uh, you're like in this realm and you're guiding this little girl who's accompanied by this like this like kind of beast bug like creature, and you're visiting like you're like revisiting like these sub stories as you're running around like this almost I forget what the realm they were it's called like the prison cage or something or the cage or something like that. And like you're you're following up like these storylines of like people who existed once in the past, maybe in alternate alternate storylines or worlds, uh, in it. But the and, and this girl had like no memory of her past. And I think like the main plot twist of this like first arc was like their 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 identities were switched. Or like the soul of this girl was like this bug like creature, and the bug like creature was actually in this uh, was like the soul of it was like in this girl. Because like their their because their backgrounds were pretty distorted. Where this bug like creature originally like wanted to know what it meant to be like human, and this girl came from a background like in the real world where like I think there was like some like like she had a pretty tragic backstory where like she might have been abused uh, in her family. I forgot exactly where it was. So she's like, I just want away from this real world. Like I don't like want to be here. So like eventually like their souls were like switch with each other. So like now the bug like creature was like knew what it meant to be like human while this girl was like taught, like who wanted to be out of this was like now just like in her soul was it in this like bug like creature a uh, shell. I believe that was like the and so th- this comes into fruition uh, as you learn more about the first arc of the story. The second arc of the story I briefly started way back when and I don't know exactly where it went but like you had like um you had like a selectable protagonist in the sense like you can uh, choose like the boy or the girl, uh, like different totally character, different total characters, like there's a schoolboy or a schoolgirl, and like I guess there's like a parallel storyline in between them, uh, depending on whose story you decided to embark upon, and it's all is all coded into like as uh, like as you learn about like other auxiliary characters and their own storylines and like alternate worlds or timelines uh, in it. It's a very weird game, as you know, it's not that really unusual for a year related product. It's just 
I don't think the game the game itself was very fun to play, and it always like ran like shit on no matter how much like whatever device you ran it on. It always felt like it was slow and like stuttered a lot, and never really had a consistent performance. And there's just like just generally not really a pleasant game to really engage with. Like it's 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 well, it's gotcha obviously is kind of garbage. It's rates. Um, the way you progress characters was always kind of a chore and a hassle. Like. With how many systems you had to like, like on top of like leveling them, you had to level like um, certain like equipment or weapons, and then they expanded like the system even more to like have board like a board progression system for characters to power create them even more, and you had to like ride more currency for the board mechanic. It just wasn't really a fun game to play, I would say. Um, those stories, you know, were interesting in their own respect. Um, but you know, how, how the stories progressed is that you'd have like a little left to right segment. I won't really call it a platformer because it was more just ambient. Simulator. <laughs> yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd walk left to right. You might need to like jump or climb a few things, I think, maybe. And then you'd run into like a black figure and that would lead you into the actual fight, which would be, you know, auto battle or whatever. Um, and my frame of reference is very limited, but I believe they have the same developer, uh, this and um, Ever Crisis. And I just ran into a lot of the same issues with the the way like billions of currencies that you have to um, manage in order to keep keep your party like at a high battle power in order to auto battle through the, the story or the challenges. And it just like this this sounds like me trying to like make fun of myself or something, but like I I feel like I've played enough MMO or MMO adjacent or just RPG games that I can manage a lot of currencies, but the way they were just implemented just wasn't fun. It really felt like accounting. In a lot of ways, and I was just like, I uh, so I, I ended up dropping both near reincarnation and ever crisis. Um, Funny enough, maybe I, like, yeah, like both near reincarnation, like, uh, like shutting down, uh, is like you know, not really unusual, right? I mean, that like mobile games shut down all the time, and this kind of like, but it's kind of the time frame of this like Yoko Taro related projects and them shutting down one by one, like within a short time frame, is like really weird between like 404 game reset, which they even last a year in Japan. Then you have Sinnoh Alice, which lasted a pretty a re- pretty respectable long time. Like that came out before New Reincarnation. So Sinnoh Alice, you know, getting shut down. Um, and then now this. It's kind of like the 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 Taro trilogy of mobile games shutting down one by one, like within like a year of each other. The is... funniest thing is they always say it's like it's not because of profit reasons, it's because the main story is done or something like that. I mean, you know, hey, any game that any mobile game that's able to tell their story and like and like have a decent conclusion to it before it shuts down is like, congrats, you did it. Like, you, I, I kinda, you did your job. I, I kind of wish any of these games. It doesn't matter which mobile game it is, whether I like it or hate it or whatever. I kind of wish they kind of did the the Mega Man X dive offline thing of like, hey, at least give like give people like a premium like offering so they can like continue to play this game and like. With all of its content or most of its content, um, after it's shut down, instead of being locked away forever and people aren't able to experience it ever again, they have to yeah. like, rely on like YouTube videos that. to like you know, like um, I don't know. I hate to use Graham Blue as a reference, but you know, in Graham Blue, there's Lucifer or Luc- Lucilius, and they had like this very amazing storyline in Rage of Bahamut, which mm-hmm. is a card game from them originally. The problem is this card game is like that that event story has shut down and 
this was before YouTube was made, so nobody has like a recording of these videos of what the story is told like. So everybody is using like their vague memories to draw manga strips of the story, <laughs> trying to tell people how great it is. But yet, it's like I want the original experience. I don't know what it looks like, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah. It just feels such a shame. It's like it's gone, and now it's like, and everyone's just telling me how good this damn story is. And like, oh, it's kind man. of this kind of a little bit of a tangent, right? But like. Resriana coming out and near shutting the the mobile game shutting down like these are not even like the the two these two aren't even like the infamous mobile games like story of this week. Did you hear about what happened to the Love Life School Idol Festival too? I was Chow, dead I and announced. <laughs> so for people who don't know, I know, the high, I know the high level, but I think you could explain it better than okay. me. But it was pretty fun. Okay, so the the. For people who don't like, uh, on its face, it's it look it's looks really really crazy and unusual. So pe- most people were exposed to one tweet from the Love Life School Idol Festival Two official Twitter account saying "Global launch notice." We are, we're excited to break the news that the global version of this game is coming February twenty twenty four. However, we also want to inform you that the global version will close its, door- its doors on May thirty first two thousand twenty four and cease in app purchases accordingly. Uh, thanks for the love and support you've shown. So in the same tweet, they announced when the global version is coming out, which is February 24th, and then three months later, or Archie, yeah, three months later, it's shutting down within the same announcement. And everyone's like, huh? <laughs> That's crazy. And I was just, I was laughing, right? Because I, I kind of, you know, th- th- this tweet came out at the same time as like shortly after the end of service announcement of this game in Japan. So this game is like and I think that's shutting down fairly soon, before before May. Um so this game is kind of a unique situation. I know like a lot of people are like, this is fucking crazy. Why would you even launch it? And I I agree. But like the, the the context around this is funny. So the game launched early last year in Japan, and it's a sequel to Love Life School Idol Festival, and that was a that is a game that lasted for about ten years, if not more, and made a shit ton of money. This is like one of the quote unquote earliest, mo- like successful mobile games, especially in the rhythm space, uh, in the offset of like you know mobile gacha game model. And so, and I won't get into deep, too deep into the specifics of like what was wrong with this game, but basically this is like one of the unusual circumstances where they were launching a direct follow-up sequel, a numbered sequel, and shut down a immensely popular, successful game. Uh, you know, it's like, it's like imagine if like, if Honkai Star Rail was like a direct sequel to Honkai Third Impact, and they launched Star Rail and shut down Third, Third Impact, uh, for example, if they were like related storylines. Such a stupid move. So, so there are a lot of underwhelming things from the get-go from School Idol Festival 2. Um, you know, obviously not being able to carry over your units that you gotcha for for over a decade. Uh, you got started from scratch. Um, the game presentation was identical to the first one. So, like, there's not really, like, like graphical or technological improvements to it, like, from the, what a player can see. And this is like oddly weird because the, the uh, another Love Live game prior to it called All Stars Lot Carnival or whatever I forget what it's called. Uh, it was like it was more of an RPG slant. But the ne- the neat thing about it was there was like 3D renders of like 
dance choreography and like you can actually see like videos of like you know your characters dancing so like you saw 3d models of them and like it was like a big step up presentation wise so people thought with like you know school idol festival too they're like oh they're gonna incorporate like a 3d element to it it's like no there's all still static images uh, of your characters identical to the first game and like so it looked very very underwhelming and looked like why the fuck did you like even release a sequel then uh to this and like wipe away all the characters i i rolled for over the years so and that that's like that's like the very very top level like problems with this game there's other you know elements of this game that like i won't get into that was like very underwhelming so it was an interesting situation because so much of this game was underwhelming to the japanese fan base like they couldn't even rectify it no matter what they tried so and they did you could tell they didn't foresee that this that the japanese community community would like react so negatively against it to the point that it hurt their bottom line that significantly like even like top whales of like the love life uh, school idol festival community were like we're not having this anymore we're not going to spend any uh, you know we're not spending anything i don't know what they expected you weren't just messing with uh mobile game whales you were messing with love live fans which exactly it's like <laughs> yeah and they're, they're very passionate and loyal and like if you if you turn that, them off then it's like oh man you really fucked up so uh, be, like even, even before school idol festival 2 launched in japan this was uh, this was already planned to have a uh, scheduled it was already planned to have a global, global release they already scheduled it um it was supposed to come out like later in 2023 some t- some months after the japanese version but they delayed it um uh, they delayed the release of that. So now we have this uh, unique situation where they start to fulfill that localization contract of this game to release it globally. Like that's already that work's already been done. So now you have this situation where where the game has bombed so fucking hard in Japan to the point that they're closing service for it, but they still have to release it to fulfill a contract globally. So now so that's why you have this situation where like, yeah, we're releasing this, but also we're also shutting it down uh soon after. <laughs> And yeah, so that then you have, and and now you have like this weird thing where like this is probably the biggest love life related use of the West that has hit the mainstream in the in forever. Like I can't remember the last time like love life got like this amount of buzz in the mainstream circle aside from this, and it's really funny to see. It's like. What a fucking shit show, man. I'm not, sure if, I'm not sure if he deleted it, but I saw Matt Papa was like in the replies to that saying, look, this is a terrible fucking look for your brand. If you need consultancy, I my DMs are open. What the hell, guys? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? At the, at the very least, you know, they're being upfront and honest, right? They're like, they could have easy, they, they easily said this launching in February and be like, and leave the fucking. I, <laughs> the I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not sure if it's better or worse because, yes, they're being upfront about it, but they're also saying you can buy in app purchases. Yeah, Please buy in app purchases. It it's like up. that legitimately, that should be illegal. And on another podcast I listened to, somebody floated an idea for a regulation that it'll never happen. But I think it should is uh, if you're shutting down a mobile game, you have to refund the last year of in-app purchases. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they uh, should. I, but I, you know, I wish there was better I wish there was better policy around it. But yeah, I mean, not. even like the Chinese trying to like regulate it, but, but then but, it's like, oh, they're stock market tech. So I really like, wonder. Okay. I really wonder, like, 
it's it, it feels bad but i wonder really how many people are going to get duped it's like oh this game is not, they don't know it's shutting down unless they have like an like in-app notice that shows up front hey it's shutting down at this date they should uh but, but they won't. yeah but who knows but some people will like play this and they oh yeah this could be great i love love live and like spend on it <laughs> not knowing it might it would be shut down a few months after. who knows maybe Already. someone could wail millions of dollars and get the game alive Dude, it's. I played this game. Okay, this game's not good. <laughs> I I played School Idol Festival too. It's uh. If you like love life songs, I mean, you can listen to a shit ton of them. But um, as a game itself, it's like, <laughs> think about this. Think about it like this, child. Some of the best units in this game were the low rarity units. <laughs> oh, you got no incentive to whale. So there's yeah, there's no no incentive really. You know, even even if you like like the characters, I mean that's your incentive. If you like the characters, but in terms of like gameplay wise, it's like okay, are you <laughs> so? <laughs> so yeah, that's uh. I'm sorry for the tangent, but I thought that was just like a really really interesting weird story, a weird anomaly. That, like, yeah, no, I was actually if you had, if he, yeah. If you hadn't if you hadn't mentioned it, I was probably gonna bring it up just because because of the absurdity of it all. Mm-hmm. And with that, we've covered everything on this episode of the Tetracast, including, of course, the big, long, hour-long talk about Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth, a look in at Atelier Resleriana, some Sheer on the Wanderer preview, and look back. And, uh, of course, the news for the first quarter of the year as we all head into the busiest time of our year. Um, And speaking of that, very clear what we're likely going to be talking about next week, if you want to tune in. We have the releases of Grand Blue Fantasy Relink. We've talked about that in a preview capacity, but it'll be out and available by the time we talk next week. And then, of course, Persona 3 Reload, our two big early February launches for, for the site. So see a lot of coverage for those two games up on RPG site, RPGsite.net over the next week. But until then, we hope you uh, enjoy Yakuza Like a Dragon. Not Yakuza, Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth, that one. Um, go ahead and Check on Josh's review up on the site. We've got all the guides up there as well. Also, Use our all the guides. We love you guys. You Use our guides. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. We've also got the reviews up on the site for uh, Apollo Justice Ace Attorney Trilogy, as well as the Enshrouded Early Access. And, of course, the Sure and the Wanderer preview. You can find RPG Site on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for RPG Site, and you should be able to find us. Uh, join our Discord. Uh, hit the link at the top of our homepage, or just go to Discord gg slash rpg site uh leave us a rating or a review on whatever podcast service you use to listen to the tetracast we'd love to always see those and we'll be back next week with another episode of the tetracast until you hear from us then stay safe take care we'll talk to y'all later